Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. Be sure to subscribe, review, and share the episode. You can follow me on social media at Galen Trombley. I hope you enjoy the show. Greetings. Please hold for a very important message. Light speed sequence initiated. How may I help you? Bonjour. Security breach. The truth shall set you free. <laughs> awesome. It's a miracle. Mission complete. Thank you. Have a nice day. Welcome, everybody. Uh, it's episode 247 of the Galen Trombley Show. My guest today, David Champagne. He is the president CEO of TDC. Um, you just go by TDC now, right? Yeah, TDC used to be the Development Corporation, but we've changed it. Okay, so I didn't know if we would st- you still went by that, but yeah, the Development Corporation, TDC. Um, I was telling David before we went live, there's a lot of stuff on here he filled out a lot of good information. So I told him we probably will just go right through his list because I th- almost everything on here, I'm like, I actually am curious about that or want some insight. I also selfishly want to pick your brain on a couple of these things that I've had to dive more into recently. And I'm like, you know what? Someone that's been doing it for more than a couple years, will have a lot better insight. So I might selfishly, uh, you know, get some nuggets from you. So David, for people that do not know you, can you give us a little background, who you are? How'd you get to uh, the great area of the North country? Yeah, so um, I like I said my thing. I um, I'm not a native New uh, Plattsburgh, uh, but I Plattsburghian. Plattsburghian, I guess is how you'd say <laughs> it. Um, although my parents are, and um, so my parents moved away for a, a job. Um, my dad was a repo man in the Utica area in his early days. Okay. So I'm um, working insurance uh, for an insurance outfit in that region. So they moved there um, outside uh, Utica. I was born there, and um, I'm not sure what age, but I think around age of three, we moved back to Plattsburgh. So I kind of consider myself a native. People are, that know me are always surprised to hear I wasn't born in Plattsburgh. Okay. Because um, most people think I, I was. Um, so I've lived here most of my life. We came back. Um, we moved to West Plattsburgh until about sixth grade, and then moved to the city, and uh, the, the big city, yep. and went to a PHS um, Come from a very large family, seven kids, good Irish Catholic uh, family. Champagne doesn't sound Irish, but uh, my mother's uh, main name's Kehoe, which might ring a bell to the SUNY Plattsburgh people. Yeah. Um, but, S- same uh, family? Same family. Okay. Yep. So we have a lot of connection there. Um, so we moved back. Um, I'm one of seven, uh, three boys, four girls, uh, oldest boy. Um, very involved uh, in sports and stuff, all our family throughout uh, my youth and, uh, and beyond. Um, I'm one of two that still remain here. I have a brother that teaches at PHS um, in high school. Um, everyone else has pretty much moved away. Um, went to college, started at Potsdam State uh, for a couple of years, then um, moved back to Plattsburgh because I wanted to run. Okay. Um, if you know my family, you know we're runners. Um, so I came back to Plattsburgh to, uh, to run because I wanted to give it a shot. I didn't run in high school, but... Um, I wanted to give it a shot, um, and of course, when I came back, Potsdam started a program that year that I left. So, <laughs> so anyways, I uh, came back here. So you had to run against them. I had to run against them. Yeah, and uh, so I came back, went to SUNY Plattsburgh, um, got a degree in political science, um, which is, if you know my full background, you find that's pretty interestingly strange, uh, since I worked in pharmaceuticals for thirty-four years. But um, partway through my college degree, um, after my Halfway through my junior year, I decided I wanted to do something different. I always thought I wanted to be a politician. 
always wanted to be a U.S. senator. I kind of changed my mind there. I actually worked for Stafford um, in Albany one summer, which was really interesting. Um, now I got that job's an interesting story too, but uh, um, made a decision. I, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to go into exercise physiology, so I took heavy, <laughs> okay. heavy, heavy sciences okay. and, um, and did that for a while, and I ended up graduating with a minor in biology. Okay. Um, and uh, actually through running, I hooked up uh, with a guy that worked as a supervisor at Aris Laboratories at the time in Rouse's Point, and uh, he got me an interview. And the day before I graduated, I ended up graduating in December because I just got sick of college and said I need to get out because um, I went to, going five and a half years uh, to do more of the sciences. Um, so um, started working at Aerist uh, Laboratories on the 28th of January after I graduated. They offered me the job the day before I graduated. So go ahead. No, that's, that's great. So so when you went, um, I always like seeing the backstory of people because I think if you stretch it back and go from like where you started to you know where you end up, I think a lot of people... Um, you know, in your position, obviously you carry a title like president or CEO in, in a very, you know, important uh, organization locally for us and, you know, regionally. And then you kind of go all the way back and like, kind of like, what's your first job? How'd you start? And it sounds like going into college, you're probably like every 18 year old and didn't really know what you wanted to do. I so, had no idea. <laughs> you know, I, I, I always admire young adults that come out and you can tell by their junior in high school, they know what they want to be. They want to be an engineer. They want to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. They want to be a an astronaut, you know, whatever it might be, that was not me. <laughs> and, so, uh, well, so when, so when you kind of bounced around, cause I think you mentioned what three different political science, biology ex, or physiology or exercise, exercise science. Physiology, yeah. Um, so th- there was really not a connection on any of those besides biology and the exercise science, just yeah, yeah, a little yeah. bit of science, but yeah. like when you go, so like the political science, so political science is, I mean, it, it's science in the sense of like, I guess it's the science of politics, but it's not really like, you know, our science we'd learn in science class. Right. So yeah. there's really not a huge connection there, or did you find there was a lot of overlap? No, there's no connection whatsoever. Okay. I didn't think so. I just was yeah. like, maybe there is. I didn't, yeah, like, for some crazy reason, even when I was majoring in political science, I took science courses as electives because I always okay. kind of had a little bit of an interest in them. Are you still a science guy? Like, um, am I a science guy now? Yeah, um, yeah I, I'm more of a curious guy. I like to okay. explore different things. And uh, so my science, I, I'm not, that's not, if you talk to the people who work with me in Associated Pharmacy School, and that wasn't a heavy science. I, what I've learned in life is, is find people that have strengths that you don't have and yeah. put them around you. Yeah. And um, so I would do that. Um, um, yeah. So I'm a science guy. I wouldn't say I was definitely a science you guy. Knew, you knew the people that weren't science people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so when, when I got done college before I, I graduated, my wife and I, who was also um, into running all this stuff. Um, um, we, we were both offered um, a, a graduate internship at uh, Ithaca through uh, the coach who was actually coaching at SUNY Plattsburgh at the time and I was being his assistant. Long story short, again, because I, I blew out my knee running and so I couldn't run anymore. So I, he said, why don't you coach with me? So I did. Got to know him real well, a guy named Jim Nichols, great guy. And he tried to... He was from Plattsburgh area? Uh, I don't know if he was originally from Plattsburgh. I think he came up here just to coach. Jim Nichols. Um, he was at Plattsburgh coaching you? Uh, he didn't coach me because I hurt my knee, so I could not run. Uh, a guy named Dick Fisher coached me in college. I, I just had a, a couple of weeks ago, I had on, or maybe a month ago now, Brett Wilmot. Yeah, no, and Brett. he might have said that name. It rings a bell. That's what I was wondering. Yeah, like, he would know Jim. And, it's probably um, okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, Jim's a lot older than, than Brett, but he would, they travel the his, same. Uh, he was his coach. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. That might make he probably was his coach. Okay. That's yeah. what I think it was. I'm trying to go back to the Yeah. Name. He probably was his coach. He was a great guy, but he tried to recruit my wife and I to go. 
uh, to Ithaca, set us up with a full ride for um, exercise physiology masters and help him coach. That's <laughs> and, a good school uh, for that too, right? Yeah, it's a great school for yeah. it. Uh, but uh, I had a job offer and uh, I took it and um, I almost didn't take it. I'm glad I did now. It all turned out pretty yeah. well, but uh, but I almost didn't take it. Did your wife go down to it? No, no, neither of us went. Okay. So, yeah. um, so when you ended up getting, I guess when you started out and, you know, obviously Wyeth, you started because you basically said right out of college, frontline supervisor, and kind of rose through the ranks there. Yeah, does that sound about right? Yeah, so <laughs> I, I start like most people start at, in pharmaceuticals. Unless you have previous experience, you start uh, either on the floor or as a supervisor. And I started as a line supervisor in packaging. Did that for a couple of years, and you've what you end, end up doing is just um, getting more experience knowledge and you branch out and do more and more mm-hmm. um, eventually I worked my way up to running the Rouse's Point site um, and then Pfizer bought uh, Wyeth um, and uh, I made strong connections with the president of the division and his first right-hand person and um, they eventually gave me um, sites and as far away as um, Sydney Australia um, Amboise, France, um, West uh, California, Florida, Tennessee, so different places, uh, Puerto Rico, all, all over the world. And the good news is it was a great experience um, doing that. The bad news is those sites were all slated for closure. So they saw that I was able to handle this closure here very well, and they wanted to use that skill set. Okay. So um, I wasn't the one that decided they closed, but I was the one that went in and worked with them and oversaw the site through their closure process. So when you got pulled overseas to go do that, how long were you gone typically at a time? Like when you went to, like I said, Australia or Europe? Like, yeah. You're talking like months, talking weeks, weeks, days? Weeks, yeah. It's usually minimum a week to two weeks. Okay. Yeah. And were you going and like auditing what they were doing and trying to just kind of give direction as to what, where it should go? So I was, I was basically what they would call um, uh, vice president of operations is how I waved out. Um, so it's it's kind of interesting when you look at it. I didn't get the title because if I took the title, um, I would lose the, the package basically from Rouse's Point. And so I didn't want to do that. I knew I didn't want to leave. I wanted to retire out from here. So mm-hmm. so I got the level and everything goes along with it, but not the title. So my, my title remained what's called managing director. But I was given a vice president role uh, over these sites. So, when you when you have that role over a site, uh, at least in Pfizer, what you do is you have operational control, and twice a year you got to be at those sites to go through operational reviews with them. So if everything from soup to nuts that you would think of happens in that plant is reviewed with the uh, vice president of operations over the site, and then on a you know an ongoing weekly, monthly basis, I'd have. Uh, um, calls with the site leader um, for going over what's happening and um, and just supervising that portion of it. So when you, um, I'll probably come back to stuff. I want to piggyback off that. So when you talk about, because I have a lot of questions on like organization, and I think you put yeah. topics you consider yourself knowledgeable on. So um, I mean, there's a whole list here, like ph- pharmaceutical uh, manufacturing, but like operational excellence, organizational design, mm-hmm. leadership. Yeah. Um, so when you when you go to a business like that, like what are the things that you look at? Um, and I was saying before, like this is stuff that I'm really kind of auditing with just even in our small company of like little there's inefficiencies or things that could be more streamlined or things that can potentially uh, alleviate maybe downstream problems that we just kind of, you know, as you get like you'll get a bottleneck down because of three steps before that yeah. can be simplified. So how, yeah. how do you look at everything, um, I, I guess, initially? And then as you do a deeper dive in, like how does it start to develop? Um, and this was all 
the same company, same manufacturing, right? It was like it was Pfizer all the way through. Yeah. So things were pretty much there was a lot of like similarities between all of them. Yes, yes and no. So there's definitely similarities, but if you understand Pfizer, Pfizer, um, the way Pfizer grows is by purchasing other other companies. Okay. And so every time you do that, you're integrating um, another company into the Pfizer model. I'll call it. Um, and uh, every company has their own culture mm-hmm. and own way of doing things. So as you get assimilated, as the Borg would say, if you follow yeah. Star Trek, yeah. um, as you get assimilated, um, you have to take on um, these systems, ERP, MRP type systems, and the way of doing things um, that Pfizer does it. So when you're going to a site, there's always a little bit of differences. Um, it's never completely the same. And especially depending on how long they've been in the in the organization. So you would typically have like a, this is a perfect world, and then how do we kind of try to mold them the best yeah. we can, but have like a little bit, like I said, flexibility. Yeah, yeah. So so when you when you go in, like, what's the first things you look at? Uh, maybe your first day there to hey, now we got this thing kind of cooking. Like and then we're making maybe sm- a little bit smaller details or smaller shifts. Yeah. So I mean, when you, I mean, every business is different. The business I know is pharmaceuticals. So mm-hmm. if I walk in a site, the first thing I'm doing is touring around, taking a look at the cleanliness, taking a look, you know, how is the place maintained, how is it kept, you know, looking at um, the number of people. You know, you can walk down a hall. Remember, these are large facilities. You can walk down a hallway. And is there ten people walking in a hallway, just milling around, or is there a hundred? And uh, okay, if there's a hundred, why are there a hundred people walking around? So you start to question, you know, head count. You can look at that. Um, cleanliness, attention to detail. So it's really a broad type, broad scope, mm-hmm. uh, broad brush type look when you first walk in the facility and get a lay of land. And then, you know, the next thing you do is you go in and you start looking at the books. I mean, so, you know, depending on what the business is, uh, you're looking at obviously the financials, you're looking at uh, the quality uh, books, you're looking at the uh, production rates, um, you're looking at the efficiencies uh, that, they're, that they're running. Um, so you just—it's taking really a, a full look at everything about it, the staffing levels, um, and you know, are they meeting budgets? So um, every site uh, and every like any business, you set them a budget. If you look at a budget, to me, a budget's a snapshot in time. It's not uh, fixed. It's something that you you created at one point, and then you look at a forecast. So when you're running a business, um, you start with a budget at the beginning of the year, assuming your your year is a calendar year. Um, and then every month you take a look at that again and say, okay, this is our budget. Here's what we're at. What are we forecasting for the rest of the year? And so you're always adjusting to that forecast. And so you get what you call your latest estimate on, on the forecast. And you make decisions, value decisions on, okay, do we want to spend that money? Do we want to go down that path? Or do we um, say, no, we need to make changes so we stay within the original budget? So I'll be looking at that kind of stuff when I walk into a site. Okay. And are you the one that make, has like, decision making on that or any kind of um you kind of give them direction on where to go or does that get handed off to someone else um it depends i mean um once again it depends what kind of business you're in i mean ultimately in the role i was in it, i was the one that was accountable so um you know if you ever deal with a racy you know what a racy is no i don't so a racy is a is a is a, a format you can use to decide who's who's doing what so racy basically stands for responsible accountable consulted informed right so everyone in an operation can play a role in those areas so someone's responsible for making it happen someone's accountable if it doesn't happen those aren't always the two the same people they can be totally different people um and then someone you would consult and someone you'd inform so when you're over an operation um ultimately you're accountable 
but at some point, some aspects of the job, you can be someone who's con um, uh, consulted for, for guidance or just informed after the fact. So mm -hmm. depends on what's happening. I mean, when you deal with something like pharmaceuticals, you're dealing with people's lives. So it's very important that uh, we do things right. Um, so some things I would be um, consulted before um, and some things I would be informed after, some things I would be like, what do you want to do? So asked. So, so how many times you walk in and maybe, because you're, I mean, I'm assuming you're looking for, um, in, I wouldn't say inefficiencies, but just things that aren't up to standard. Like I would say most stuff is kind of like we're, we're humans. Like if things are good, we're like, okay, it's good, but I'm going to try to focus on the bad. At least that's how my brain works. I'm sure that's how you, you were looking like, okay, great. Awesome. Where's the problems? When you go in, how often did you walk right in and be like, okay, I know exactly what the problem is. Or how much did you walk in and say, well, I got to really dig, like really kind of go deeper into stuff and kind of think, um, I guess like what was the level of what you were seeing or what you were finding on like a typical site visit? Well, I mean, so on, on, in that instance, I'm getting monthly reports already. So I'm not walking in there blind. Okay. So, you know, there's there's KPIs, metrics mm -hmm. that, that are put out every month. On, and every business should be doing that. You should be looking at what your KPIs are. Um, and so there should be a path. You know, there should be um, visibility where things are working well, where things aren't working well. So what expectation would be is if you're over a business, when you walk in, if something's not going well, that the person actually running that, that, that part of the business should be prepared to say, yeah, we're not hitting it here. We're supposed to be putting out 10 bottles an hour and we're putting out five. Um, here's why and here's what we're doing to try to correct that. And so what the expectation would be if I walk in, you're prepared to tell me um, why you're not hitting those. Um, so, so some things are very much in the forefront, you know it coming in, some things you discover through conversations. How, um, and again, maybe at the level that you were at, it was probably not as much, but when you walked in, how much thinking did you have to do versus how much did you just have to tweak what they did? And the reason I say that is one of my pet peeves, I know you got to like deal with it, but sometimes you want someone or a department or a group of people to do stuff and it's like, well, what should we do? Looking for direction. So then they put the thinking on you, meaning like I got to think through this problem and tell them basically how to do what they're doing. And there's a level of that. And there's also a level where I'm like, like, just think a little bit, like, just take, like, take a second, yeah. like plan yeah. it out versus just saying like, what do you want us to do? Um, I've always tried to be one that I, I try to think through my pro like through a problem and I try to have a solution. So if I'm talking to someone, at least I have the background knowledge. So it's not, yeah. we're not wasting time. Um, did you find that most stuff was given to you with very good thought so then you could have good conversations or was it like you rolled up and like oh you gave me numbers but you have no like not nothing really to back it up or you haven't like thought through the um uh, kind of the presentation to you that happened often or were they pretty prepared no they're prepared i okay. mean we were talking about very smart people yeah um you know you get into these operations and you get to the levels you're at you know what you're doing yeah and, uh, if you're surprised by something you're you know, unless it's happening, if it ha once in a while is okay, but if it's happening all the time, you're not in that role. Um, so there's, when you go into a, uh, any kind of operation, you know, there's there's a leadership team mm -hmm. that's put together that handles all the different aspects. So you would have, a, you know, a finance lead, you'd have a quality lead, a production lead, you know, uh, all the different areas. And so they're SME, subject matter experts in, uh, in those areas. So um you should not be able to school them too hard on on their area of business. If you can, they're in the wrong job, and um, so 
So they're well aware, prepared, um, highly functioning individuals on what they're overseeing. So it can be more, it's more guidance, you know, the way I guess my philosophy of management is I'm here to help you. Um, I'm here to help facilitate, get you what you need, mm-hmm. you know, to provide the tools. Um, so they'd be more of that. And that's kind of how I manage. Um, is, was, you know, was there anything like compliance wise where it's like, you know, even though you guys are doing this, we really want you because maybe because from uh, the higher ups, they really want this done and you're slightly off of that. Did you have any of that <clears> or was it most of it pretty much in line? Uh, it's most in line, but you got to remember with uh, pharmaceuticals and the FDA things, the bar is always being raised. Yeah. So we're always being challenged to do it better, find new innovative ways. And um, so a lot of times we'd be bringing uh, to the conversation discussions around, okay, here's, here's something we want to try to improve on. We're doing it. You're doing it. Okay. Now, but we want to try to raise the bar. Um, so we'd be trying to innovate mm-hmm. um, what we're doing. And um, we're, that company is very good at that. So, so in, you left, you said in, t- um, 2018 right mm-hmm. so did you technically retire or was that yeah yeah, un- un- or- yeah, yeah i'm laughing yeah so yeah i, I did retire so you're, you're in a retirement gig right now <laughs> yeah i'm in a retirement gig um so uh yeah my i was to go back to my initial start um we first started talking i was on the board at tdc from uh 2008 um and uh when paul grasso my predecessor mm-hmm. decided to retire yeah he was a great guy, yeah, he was a great guy and um he decided to retire. Um, I actually started heading up the uh, search committee um, with the personnel group uh, for for the replacements. And um, you know, long story short, uh, we were not finding uh, the person we wanted. And uh, so I was kind of approached, "Would you be willing to do this?" And I originally said no for like two months. <laughs> and uh, I finally said, "Let me think about it. Um, I'll, maybe I'll throw my hat in the in the, the ring." But I intended on retiring us on what. Uh, what uh, what's called a 90-day warn period where you're paid out for th- three months. Okay. Um, the company has to pay you because of uh, jobs going overseas. Um, and so I was doing that. And uh, my full intent was to retire and maybe consult a little. And uh, I said, I, well, all right. So I threw my name in the hat and went through the whole interview process like I should have and everyone else did. And uh, they offered me the job. And I said, okay, I'll do it for like three years. And uh, so that was five years ago. I was going to say, yeah, so, <laughs> so, within the, yeah, a couple of years. Yeah. Um, so are you someone that, so actually, first off, do you watch The Office at all? Um, nah, I've watched a little bit of it. Okay. I, I won't judge you too hard then. It's my favorite show. I just, yeah. the, my, kids they, love, my kids love that show. When they do the search committee and like basically, well, so the, one of the characters, Dwight in the show, like I know who Dwight puts is. himself up for the job. Yeah, so I, did you pull a Dwight? Like I nobody know. else is good, but I'll put myself up. I so. did not pull okay. a Dwight. <laughs> if you talk to the people involved, um, I did not throw my name out there. And, uh, <laughs> so are, are you someone that, um, you said before, you were curious. Are you someone that likes to be challenged? Are you someone that, or just flat out just needs something to do and gets bored? Like, like would you have done retirement well? Or? No, okay. no, no, no. And, I, and I'm, you know, I'm going to retire again, and uh, hopefully. And um, I'm very worried about that, too. I, I need to be stimulated. I, I'm very creative. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of my strengths. I'm a real... Um, I'm a solutions type person. I love thinking through problems and coming up with solutions and creative ways to solve things and rethink things. Um, it's one of the reasons I, Pfizer used me as for um, organizational design uh, quite a bit um, around the different sites where I had sites to report to me. I'd be sent to other sites too if their leadership teams weren't operating right and look at how they operated and help them kind of figure out how to operate better. 
what are you like what's some stuff that is curious like that you're curious about right now i mean maybe in yeah. life but like even like right yeah. now what's on your radar yeah um well, the politics okay. <laughs> you know, like everybody else i think uh where where the country's going and uh all the divisions how you try to i try to fix that um i, I follow that quite a bit so that's uh, never left you then now young age, never, right yeah, political I, science still yeah in there. i guess it's never left me yeah. um but uh you know i find that uh, very interesting I like to read about history. Um, okay. Very curious about that. Um, I, um, you know, I get, I'm, I'm getting into, uh, my wife's going to laugh. She hears this into uh, landscaping. Okay. Um, you know, and, <laughs> a little uh, green thumb. Yeah. And, and <laughs> looking at how to lay things out and, you know, how, how to have uh, flowers and different shrubs come in different parts of the, you know, so I'm trying to explore that a little bit. Uh, so it always kind of looks full. Yeah, it kind of looks full. Looks, yeah. you know, it flows. I, you know, uh, cooking. I'm, I'm, I love to cook. I wouldn't say I'm a great cook, but I'm trying to explore that some. So I, okay. I, if you get the theme, I'm trying to figure out things I can do once I retire. Yeah, that's me. yeah. So, um, so those are kind of like some of the things that I'm getting curious about. And uh, are you someone that? Um, like let's take landscaping. You learn how to landscape. Are you someone that goes all in and gets very obsessive over something? No. Okay. No. Like do you, you know what I'm? Do you like? Yeah. Because okay. yeah. I know some people that like all of us. I have a really good friend of mine. He's been in like multiple at a like a fairly high level. Like goes like like he was in the bees at one point. He was in the yeah. guitar. He was no. in like but it would go like so hard in that for probably a year and then would kind of phase out of it. Yeah. But it was almost like he needed like the chase of trying to understand something. Yeah. Um. I, you know, I like to be involved in a lot of things. Okay. So, I mean, um, you know, I, with the job I'm doing now, I do a lot with, um, with Plattsburgh. I do some with Clinton County. I do a lot of things in New York state. Um, I like to get involved in a lot of different aspects, um, outside of work. You know, I've, I've been known as a runner most of my life, but I ride road bikes, mountain bikes, I ski, um, I play golf and I, you know, I try to get involved in different things. Um, and not just stay focused on one thing. And, uh, so, so you're like, I mean, you're an outdoors guy then. We could say I that. love the outdoors. Okay. Yeah. My dad gave me the love of outdoors. Um, so like right now, if you said on a perfect day, weekend or day off or something like that, like you're probably outside somewhere. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you, where do you ski mostly? Whiteface. Um, I, I saw snow the other day. I'm, yeah. I have, I go skiing up there, not as much as I'd like, but I saw snow up there. So I was like, ah. So I haven't played much golf this year as much as I'd like, so I'm kind of like burned off that quick, and then I'm looking forward to ski season. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this was, this wasn't a good summer for golf anyways. No. It was kind of wet. Well, I hurt myself a little bit, and then the water. So I was like, you know yeah. what? It's fine. I got a yeah. bunch of passes for next year. It'll, be, it'll work out good. Yeah. Um, so now when you go back to like something like TDC and you get into that, what was the transition like? Because, I mean, you were on the board, so you knew – I mean, yeah. you kind of knew what you were getting yeah. into, but yeah. – um, easy transition, difficult. How much was the similarity between yeah. Pfizer and? Well, the jobs are nowhere, anywhere near similar. Okay, completely so. different. Um, I wouldn't say the transition was hard, but but it was a, definitely a transition. I used to say I live local, work global. Okay. Um, I mean, it, it's interesting because most of the people that know me that aren't my really close knit friends had no idea what I did for a living. If my if you ask my like kids, ever. Yeah, ever. Okay. And if you ask my kids that, what I did for a living, they couldn't describe to you what I did. Because yeah. I never brought work home. It's just not what I did. But most of the people don't understand what I used to do, you know, how big of a job it was, the scope I had, what yeah. I did. So, because I, um, 
so it was very much a global job. I, you know, I interacted with the governor of New York State several times, you know, Schumer, all these different people mm-hmm. in uh, different countries, you know, around the world, different things. Um, it was a very global job. I was with the CEO of Pfizer different, many times, um, that type of stuff. So it was, a, it was a very big global job. The job I mean now, I kind of look at it as a regionals, at the most a state-level job. Yeah. So it's a whole different group of people and group of problems and opportunities, right? So um, so that was a real pivot for me for being on the road a lot, traveling. I was in Manhattan every other week, uh, uh, Pfizer headquarters. So I was traveling quite a bit, especially in the last 10 years of my career. Um, so now to be here, basically here yep. all the time in a smaller office of there's seven of us compared to hundreds thousands or thousands okay <laughs> he said thousands um so so it was a whole different scale um but you know i'd worked uh, i'd been on the boards so i knew the organization well i knew the mission mm-hmm. um i knew the staff um and uh so you know i kind of i think i slipped into it pretty seamlessly it was it a, a, a difficult adjustment not really but it definitely was an adjustment um, to do it. Um, do you prefer the? Was there? Did you have a preference for either one? Or are they both? You kind of like them for what they are. Yeah, I like them for what they are. I mean, I love my 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 life with Pfizer and Wyeth. It was very exciting. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was always a challenge, always something new going on, um, meeting interesting people, going around, seeing different cultures, being exposed to the diverse. Um, landscapes and uh it's just uh it was it was a great experience same time i kind of look at i'm giving back now to the community with the experience i have um working with uh, different individuals one of the things i really like doing is mentoring people and helping young people grow and get different experiences and so i'm trying to do that with what i'm doing now how well how, how much of uh like you said overseas different cultures larger scale how much of that have you you know, translates into what you do now, like is it either directly or it's kind of, I mean, obviously you're, you're, uh, there's no way you're going to escape those experiences. They've molded you to who you are now, but how much do you tap into stuff or remember like, Hey, I remember they did this in, yeah. in Australia and I think we could do that here or whatever. Maybe stuff you saw down at like corporate in New York city. Yeah. I use that all the time. Okay. So, um, you know, it's, it, when I look at say Clinton County, there's so, especially that, Town of Plattsburgh, Plattsburgh City, Plattsburgh, this region, you know, Peru, Saranac, this, this tight region here. Um, there are so many people doing really great things. And, um, and they're, they're, sometimes they're just in separate pathways, and you don't always see the linkage where they're coming together. Um, and I kind of see it kind of like an organization, like a, like a company where you have um, – so if you work for a company like Pfizer or Wyeth or any of these big companies, I'm sure, you know, you have uh, global operations meetings where you bring all the different uh, sites together and the different support networks together uh, a couple times a year. And you do uh, best practices and look at and get the SMEs to come and speak and try to share information. Um, I kind of see that there's opportunity for that in the North Country, in the Clinton County, um, to bring things together and try to make it so you're actually all working um, on the same thing and, and not doing duplication of effort. So I try to use the experience of that to try to help do this. Who's, um, I mean, outside of like, the, you know, the TDC or the seven people in the TDC, like wh- what are the other organizations that you find you work with the most with or most hands-on with? 
Yeah, so I'd say in the last couple of years, um, obviously the Chamber of Commerce with Gary and his staff, um, Mike Zerlo in the county I work quite a bit with, um, Mike Cashman in the town. Mm-hmm. I'm very involved with the uh, North Country Regional Economic Development Council with ESD, mm-hmm. um, probably them more than anybody right now. Um, those are the groups. Um, with uh, really trying to work hard with Clinton Community College, uh, CV Tech for workforce type uh, stuff in education. Um, so, you know, kind of a, a broad group between mix of public and uh, sectors. Um, private, it's more with our tenants, making sure that we, we get them what they need. One of the things we try to do in our park, TC's park, is build a sense of community. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do a lot of different things with our marketing and branding and with our tenants to try to bring them together and, and show them that, um, like I was saying before, there's resources there that they can call use too. And they can learn from each other and support each other. I had a, Mike was on a Cashman a couple of weeks ago and um, he was kind of, you know, obviously, uh, you know, uh, like celebrating the amount of new infrastructure, the amount of like, you know, whether it's the amount of square footage of businesses or the amount of building permits or all these things that were coming up that he said, he, you know, what the based on the numbers were like on the rise and, and kind of really good metrics that they're trying to track. And I'm, I'm sure that you're, yeah. you guys could look at the same stuff. Um, if you were to look back, like let's go back to 2008 and then let's go 2018. So get on the board, become, you know, present CEO. How different is it from 08 to now and then from 2018 to now? Because what I was telling with Mike, and I was actually saying this to Billy too, um, Billy Jones was on the week prior to him. So, and I know there's a lot of uh, overlap, but what they were saying was, and I asked, or I asked both of them and kind of asking you, like, most good things take time. And, and if you were to think that most people kind of want things done now, but if you were to stretch that back, I mean, you're only going back 15 years, 2008. Um, if you were to stretch that back in that time frame, if you know, looking back, is it, are you at a spot where it's like, wow, we've accomplished so much, or is it at a spot where you're like, I wish we would have done more. Or is it at a spot where it's like, um, you know, you still think you're behind for some reason, because I think most people, Myself included, and a lot of people don't like stop and smell the roses or stop and like look behind and like, wow, I've like walked that entire distance. Like we always just think like, what's the next problem? What's the next goal? What's the next thing? We're caught up in this like day to day or the future more than we are like present and past. Yeah. Are you able to like ever evaluate kind of the past or be like, wow, we've done a lot, even though it might not seem like you're more focused on the next five years than you were the last 15, but yeah. a lot has happened though. Yeah. I mean, TDC as an organization evolved enormously since 2008. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you go back to 2008, we were running the IDA too. So the okay. Clinton County IDA. So we've separated that out. Um, and uh, now the county runs that by himself, but they were contracting to us to run that. So my role would have been the chair of the IDA too. Um, so that's separated out. Um, and that, that's, you know, in some ways good and bad. It, mm-hmm. it definitely brings different changes. Um, we have... Um, put up a lot of new buildings. We have gone um, to more, um, so I call it some key manufacturing uh, facilities versus just distribution, pick and pack and warehousing. Yep. Um, when uh, when I came on board into this role, um, we were probably at, um, I wanna say 70% occupied um, with mostly pick and pack warehousing. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, they just, completed the vapor stone facility on the old airbase. Yep. 
which is a public joint venture. Is that part of your? Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that was that's a really good. When I think about our facilities and our operation, I kind of look at like a mall. You know, we have anchor yeah. anchor yep. businesses, yep. and so Vaporstone is a really good anchor building for us. Mm-hmm. Has a, a really good strong business there, not just warehousing. Um, so since that to me was kind of the kickoff of that. Since then, we have um, created. Now we're putting up our building number 25 uh where Medisco is going is that tom tom uh, miller road yep yeah so Medisco is going in there and that's going to be basically a pharmaceutical site with um laboratories and um manufacturing and warehousing and uh, locker rooms and um, the whole gambit of uh, pharmaceuticals mm-hmm. and um so that to me it's another anchor store um type thing um and we're in the process of talking to another potential business right now doing something very similar not pharma but creating another manufacturing area which will give us like three big anchors um we and i, I guess those are separate from if i went back everything was transportation and transportation is a big thing around here for for business um but we like to think about not being one-dimensional yeah uh, so well, I was gonna say so. Um, like, what, where you your building is now? So you have like Norsk, you have um, uh, um, Monahan, yep. and you have like when you start going back along there, are those all considered part of TDC, or are those different? Like when you talk about anchors, you're talking about tenants, not necessarily. Yeah, I'm talking about building. tenants. Yep. Yeah. So if you talk about anchors in a community, those are great examples. Mm-hmm. So when you have Monahan, which is a fantastic business, a great organization that mm-hmm. continues to grow. beautiful building too. I mean, it's beautiful yeah. building. I was with their their lead uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, <clears throat> And uh, so when you look at, if you look at Clinton County as a whole, if you want to talk mm-hmm. Clinton County, I mean, we look at Schluter, Monaghan, Madiska, um, Nova, unfortunately, um, is going out, and then Alstom, <clears throat> Bombardier. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, we have uh, some really good anchor businesses, which I think from a community, if you go back to 2008 or even back to where the air base is here, um, we're better off with these size businesses in this community so if one leaves and, you know, like Nova's leaving now, if you're working at Nova, it's completely, it's very dramatic to you as an individual, as an employee. Um, but Nova going will not take down this community, yeah. right? I mean, there are enough jobs that if, if employees are exiting from Nova and want to work, there are jobs here and good jobs. So mm-hmm. versus a Pfizer has thousands of jobs and they leave, it leaves a huge hole. So I think if you look back to 2008 or even 2018, as a community, we're in better shape than we were then. Um, well, I, and I'm just going, I think even since 2018, I'm just, mm-hmm. again, I'm going the, just the roads you guys are on and, you know, just kind of looking at what has popped up. I mean, I remember touring Nova Bus in college, which I think was probably around 2010, 2011. Um, so I went for supply chain management, never, I was kind of the same as you, never <laughs> used it, but um, we got to go tour the plant and I think it was when they first opened. Um, and that was really cool, you know, seeing it and, but at the time, that was like a big deal, and there wasn't a whole. I mean, there was you know, Lombardia was around, and uh, some a couple of the spots, but it's really grown, and that's what I'm saying. In the last 15 years, the Plattsburgh area is way different than I remember it, yeah. and then and that's why I was, I was telling Mike and Billy, and that's like, what's the next 15 years going to look like? Which is probably going to be, um, I would say, uh, sped up in the amount of growth, meaning that exponentially, I think just the area is kind of in a good. Um, and I feel like a lot of people would say this too. I think the leadership locally in a bunch of different places, I think are all 
and again, I'm not in the like in it with you guys, like or sitting around talking about it. But I feel like from an outsider perspective, I feel like a lot of people are rowing in the same direction, and I feel like absolutely, yeah, I think there's a lot of cohesiveness as to like, okay, this is what we want to do, and like, okay, it's it's almost like you said, it's a it's like a massive organization. Yeah. Everybody's got you know, you're the head of you know TDC, but I feel like everybody's on the same page and at the state level, you know, government level, and then obviously just locally running the businesses and people at the state level and and. Um, I think that what we're going to see over the next, you know, what might have taken us 15 years could take us seven years or could say, you know, we're going to start seeing a much more drastic build. Um, and that's why I'm always in a course, I look at it more from like the, you know, where the, uh, you know, you guys are like lead metrics are kind of like, we're the lead and lag metrics. So like we're lagging lead and homes. So when I look at that for like real estate, it's like when I start telling people what I'm seeing, I'm like, I'm going off of just trends, trying to stay on top of like what you guys are doing and other people are doing and kind of what we're seeing. Cause like you bring in big plants, there's jobs, there's opportunity, there's obviously better, um, an economic situation locally, which hopefully eventually I hope is going to translate to people wanting to develop, you know, more housing here for sale, which yeah. is obviously a big, like, we need it. We need it. Yeah. And it, and that's something that if it's kind of like, if you build it, they will come like, they will, I mean, there's no there's no doubt in my mind if someone was to come put money into subdivisions or housing or townhouses or whatever that they wouldn't be snatched up. Problem is it's like, you know, then you're looking at all the stuff they have to look at margins and everything else. But, um, eventually it will, that will happen. So it's like, when you start looking at all the stuff that's happening, that would cause that this stuff is happening, which eventually this is just, it's a matter of time. Yeah. But I think that that could happen sooner. Like, I mean, five, 10 years from now, I think we could be seeing some of that stuff popping up. Oh, absolutely. And, Obviously, the um, the different services um, that required to if people if jobs are here, obviously people need daycare, housing, yep. and daycare um, is a tough one. Transportation, right now. Yeah. yeah, it's all tough. Um, and I would I would agree with you. The rate of change has sped up. I mean, so in the last since um, twenty nineteen, now we're in our second sixty thousand square foot building, and this is the second building that we're putting up that within three months we had a lease. Wow. I mean, three months of starting construction. So steel's not in the ground yet. We're doing the foundation, land clearing, and we're we were in conversations, serious conversations that the building, like Madiska, wanted that building. Now twenty five. Now Madiska's currently on Route Three. Yep, Madiska's currently has two buildings on Route Three. They use they lease space from two of ours and they own one. So. So is it normal for you guys to build a building to then try to attract people? Or is it yeah. like, how, how does that work? Like, it's kind of like chicken and the egg. Like, which one yeah. kind of comes first in that relationship? Yeah, I mean, that's what makes um, TDC unique. Um, you know, you're in real estate, you know, and um, what it costs to do a building today. It's, uh, um, you're in residential, um, we're more industrial, but uh, the, the cost to do a building is prohibitive for what you're going to get for a lease rate. Mm-hmm. So you can't build a building today and then cover it with a lease. Yeah. Um, so most companies, most most builders are not going to put up a 60,000 square foot industrial building on spec. Yeah. yeah. Because first off, they're not sure if they're going to be able to lease it. Secondly, they aren't going to get a lease rate that's going to cover the cost of the build. Yep. Um, and uh, so they're not going to do it. So we, because we're not for profit, our goal, our, we're not trying to make money. We're trying to create jobs. Mm-hmm. Our whole mission is about bringing jobs to the North Country and trying to elevate the quality of those jobs. Um, so we uniquely will put a building up like we've done uh, on spec, understanding that we are going to basically uh, cover some of the cost of that build for a certain period of time before we've kind of broke even. 
in the buildings paid for. So most places won't do that. I won't name any names, but if you go and ask certain individuals that yeah. you know where you put a building up, they're going to look at it and say, not unless I have a tenant and I yeah. know I'm going to get a return on my investment, right? It only makes sense. Um, but we do it. And um, we've, we've last, uh, since 2018, I guess, we've put up three buildings. Um, so the Vapor Stone building, mm -hmm. 80,000 square feet, the um, 260s that we've done now, the 23, building 23 and the building 25, which we're doing right now. Which one's building 23? 23 is right next to our office. So it's on, okay. uh, it's 109 Industrial Boulevard. Okay. So it's another 23,000 square Who's house in that one right now? Uh, it, it varies, but um, Michelin's going in there right now. Basically. Okay. Yep. And, um, and the way we do buildings, trying to make it easier and more successful for us and for businesses, is if we build a 60,000 square foot building, we make it so it can be divided into 320s. Okay. So we have a, a division, a wall that has an you know, overhead door you can open and go through unless someone gets involved with us early on and says, I don't want that wall there. Because that was what Mediska did, right? So that's what Mediska yeah. did. So we had the plans all, read it, all mapped out, and uh, they came in and said, no, we want the building, but we don't want those there. So what we do is we'll put all the subsurface infrastructure in so we have to go back and redo it. So we have all the footers in place and everything. If Mediska mm -hmm. left at the end of their lease, we could put the walls back in. Yeah, okay. That's, yeah. How, how often is um, – do you have a lot of turnover amongst tenants, or are they pretty much – like you have a, because I feel like most of the tenants, besides obviously like a Nova leaving, but I mean, and they've been there for 15 years. So it's like, yeah. it's not like these are short term. Like, what do you try to do? Mostly like five, 10 year terms, we would 20 love, year terms? Like, yeah, we would love five, 10 year terms. And we have that with some, but it's usually three years, three, okay. three to five years. Um, we do have some tens and uh, fives and we have one longer than that. But, but yeah, ideally we'd like five to 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, but usually three years is our low mark that we try to shoot for okay. um if you get below that things change and um, we want more flexibility um i was gonna say what do you think the biggest uh <clears throat> kind of when you look at opportunity but like kind of you know the swat idea like you know swat analysis like mm -hmm. if you're yeah. looking at both of those like what's the thing that you think is here's our strength and then this is probably our you know biggest uh maybe weakness or biggest thing that we're trying to overcome or trying to, f to figure out yeah yeah Go back to your first question. I answered that one there. But your first one was, do we have uh, our businesses new or growing? Most of the businesses in our park, are, our tenants have been there and are growing. Mm -hmm. So they come in and they, they become more and more successful and get bigger So they go bigger. from the 20 to the 40 yep. to the 60? And we allow tenants to move around. Okay. So if you sign a lease with us um, in, a, say, a 20,000-square-foot space and you've outgrown it, um, if another 40,000 opened up somewhere else, we will let you get out of that lease and move to the 40. And vice versa, if, if um, someone's looking for a space that they want to go in and you're in it, so say someone else is in that 40 um, and it makes more sense for them to go to a different building, we work with tenants and move them around. We've done that many, many times to help them grow and, re and retain their business here. Um, but for SWOT analysis, obviously our strength is what you said earlier. It's, it's that the community comes together here to get things done. Yeah. I mean, we all row in the same direction. Um, you know, we were talking about something else recently and if you like, I'm a very visual person and I like to look at things that way. So, um, if you look at a lot of communities, they'll be on say the racket river all on inner tubes going down it, they're going in the same direction, but they're not together. Mm -hmm. You know, we're on the raft, you know, okay, every, yeah. everyone here is on in the same boat on the raft, rowing down the river, um, trying to make that to, uh, be, make us be successful. So it's definitely our strength. The other strength, which everyone knows is really our closeness to the border. 
Um, you know, I've talked to several people, organizations and chambers in, in Canada, and what they'll tell you is, um, if you're a Canadian business, especially in Quebec, and you want to be in the U.S., Blasberg's a no-brainer. I mean, if, if you're there, you can come down here, check out the site, talk to your management team, and be back home for dinner. Yeah. So, so it's hard to overcome that. You know, I, when I first got involved in this job, I, used, I, I couldn't figure out why we were getting business in Vermont wasn't, because I always hear Vermont, you know, in Burlington. And you start to talk to the business leaders in, from Canada. They don't want to be in Burlington. They want to be in Plattsburgh. Come right down 87, boom, boom, you're there. Yeah. And uh, so, so they come to Plattsburgh. And uh, so that's definitely a strength. Um, weaknesses, um, we never have enough space. Uh, and which is indicative of when we start putting a building up, we have people talking to us right away. They want it. Um, and then what you were talking about earlier is the wraparound services. It's the housing. Um, it's the number of employees yeah. you have. And as, as businesses come in, there's a tendency, if it's a higher-paying job, for them to take uh, employees from the lower-paying organizations and it makes, puts them in a bind. So we need more people. Yeah. It's definitely our weakness. but. We are not alone in that. That's a worldwide phenomenon. So, and, uh, well, when you talk about uh, not enough space, you're not talking about physical like places to put buildings. It's just if like there's enough land, right? At this point, it's just a matter of like physically getting the buildings up and having someone come in amongst all. You know. Yeah, it's kind of both. I mean, okay. we have the land, but uh, if you talk to Billy Jones and Mike Cashman and everybody, everything needs to be shovel ready. No one. It's like you said earlier when we we're talking. No one's patient for anything anymore. Mm-hmm. So you need things shovel ready. So yeah. when when someone comes and wants to start talking to you about putting a building up, you know they want. Um, sometimes they want to know, okay, can I get in there, you know, right away? So how long is it going to take you to put a building up? You know, the infrastructure is very important. Um, so you need you do need the land. There's, there is land, and I'm sure as Mike probably said to you when you talked to him a couple weeks ago about what we're doing on the old uh, county airport. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned it, yeah, but you can say it again. Yeah. Yeah. So we're. Uh, Right now, we're working through, we're putting a, about a 3,000 foot long roadway in there, which is a joint effort between uh, the county, <clears throat> uh, the town, and TDC, and with some grants from the Northern Border and EDA um, organizations to fund that, to get that road in. Um, and so that's going to open up a huge amount of space. I think it's about 400 acres in there altogether. Um, wow. And so we can now start doing um, more buildings back and through there. So. We're, we're, and that's going back behind where you guys are now. Yep, it's right yep. back behind us in Norsk and Monahan Medical. Mm-hmm. So that'll go in there. That'll give us somewhat shovel-ready. It won't be completely all of it on that road will be, but then if you want to extend deeper, you're going to have to extend the services. Um, so that's there. But then physical buildings, um, there's not enough uh, physical buildings around to handle potential business to come in. It's hard to market when you have nothing to market. So when you talk about like a you know 3,000, that's... Uh, well, it's about 60% of a mile, whatever you want to call that, six-tenths yeah. of a mile, I guess yeah. is easier way to say it. Um, how many buildings do you, do you think you can get up in a space like that? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, it depends on the size of the building. Um, when we look at, uh, if you, you're asking earlier about 2008 to 2018 to, to now, you know, one of the things that's changed is companies are looking for big, bigger buildings. So okay. the sweet spot used to be around 20,000 square feet. Now we're seeing 60 to 100,000 square feet. So when you talk about the space along um, that roadway, if you just took on the roadway, it's about 30 acres of potential land right off that roadway. Mm -hmm. Now you can make it more by going deeper and deeper on the west side. Um, But you pretty much got about 30 acres of buildable space, maybe 50. 
And then if you back it up, you can put, you know, you can probably add another hundred, but, um, so probably four to five buildings, um, okay. at the 60,000 square foot, uh, space. And, and just for context, which buildings right now are 60,000? Like is the new Medisca, is that 60,000? Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so Monahan's about 60 then ballpark. Uh, I'm not sure the size of Monahan. I think it's bigger. I, I, I'm going to guess Monahan's more like 150 to 200. Oh wow. Okay. I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, but this is Norse one's big, but Monahan's yeah. kind of tucked back. I mean, it's, it's yeah, further it's, back. So yeah. you don't get to see it as well, but yeah. Just looking at the front side of it, I think it's, it's a bit. Yeah, it's, it's there. Bigger. Yeah, it's a big building. Um, and okay, so for, yeah, so I mean, once you get, but you wouldn't necessarily. You're not building these. It's just like you said, ground. Like everything's like shovel ready. Everything's getting shovel ready. Yep. But that's enough to attract people with building plans or whatever. Yes, like, absolutely. Yep. Um, yep. Future, futuristic uh, yep. scales. So, how long? I mean, I know, I'm just gonna say it, then I'll let you kind of deviate off of it. How long does it take from shovel ready to we have an existing building standing? It depends. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. So I was like, I'll let you just kind of give me the good, bad, and the ugly. Yeah, I mean, so what we've traditionally put up is is warehouse shells that can be used for light manufacturing or warehouse distribution. It takes about a year, you know. So the building that um, Medisco is going in right now, we started about this time last year. Um, and if if we hadn't made an agreement with them to upgrade that building— to full-scale manufacturing. I can go into what that does to it a little bit if you want, but um, uh, we would have been done that building um, by probably June, you know, June, July. About six months, seven months? Yeah, I'd say nine, ten months, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. that's right, yeah, we're, sorry. we're, yeah. we're October, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, if we'd started in September, we, you know, we would have had that building up and going. Not, we could have done maybe temporary occupancy probably around May, but really to have it all done would have been June, July. With, okay. with them putting upgrades and, uh, putting uh, better HVAC, you know, the sprinkler systems are important now to, for fire suppression, um, in and outfitting labs and everything. It's an eighteen month. And this day. is um, is this also with delays in you know supply, supply chain and a million other things? Um, yeah, I'd say eighteen months for that building is not. We did have delays in mm-hmm. that building, but eighteen months maybe could have gained a couple months without uh, without COVID type supply chain issues. So is that an acceptable amount of time? Like just, I mean, relative to other competition, like is that a, is that keep you competitive or is that, you know, kind of leading the, the speed? No, I think it keeps us competitive. I okay. wouldn't say it's leading the speed. Um, so other places can go much faster? I wouldn't say they go much faster. Um, I think if, um, if you had, um, uh, if you had a, a builder that was, completely lined up and you're building the same thing over and over and over you maybe could do it quicker okay um, but um knowing that we're we do changes and everything um and you're dealing with um uh, a business that is not quite sure what they want in the building where they want it as you're going you're kind of making it up as you go it kind of slows you down um so when you think of uh like if people come down here and they look at plattsburgh i'm, I'm guessing they're also looking at other sites or absolutely so like when you're up against competition that mm-hmm. way um it would be like me saying, like, I'm going to go to meet you at your house to possibly list your house. I'm like, well, I'm meeting with five other agents, which is fine. You know, and then, but you have like, okay, you know, you're trying to whatever that, that looks like in your field. So like when you guys are going up against other, um, it would be more locations, right? It wouldn't really be much different because they're trying to get the same services, just matter of like, does. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. does that become like, obviously there's competitiveness there, but do you find that like that competition you i'm gonna say win you win those more than you lose those or is it like 
is it pretty much like now it's really dependent on the person or the company? Yeah, I think it's dependent on, it's, you got you to go back and look at what they're looking for, mm-hmm. you know, what their value proposition is. And, um, you know, if it's a, like I said before, if it's a company in Quebec coming down, you know, where we lead with location, mm-hmm. you know, proximity, proximity matters. Yep. So yep. Um, we're so much closer to them. So that will give us a one up. And then, you know, the cost to build, the timing, the wraparound services, the labor, um, housing, all that stuff, they're going to take that into, into account, taxes and all that. I mean, I think the, the area that we compete the most with is Texas. And uh, if you look at companies that make a decision of coming here or not, what I've seen in the last four or five years is the decision is really between us and Texas. And do you think there's a reason for one or the other? Like, is there something like, like, well, Texas has this and we can't really beat that or vice versa? Tax. Taxes, that's what yeah. I was guessing, yeah. yeah. Um, do you find that the taxes in New York hurt you guys, or is it something, is there ways that you can work around it, or like any type of... I don't think it hurts us. Um, there's no manufacturing tax. Okay. Um, so, um, so I don't think it hurts us. I think people that come to Plattsburgh understand that, and they want to be in its location that drives it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the bulk of our companies are from Canada, <clears throat> and they, they want to be there. Or there are companies that want to service New York State. Right. So, you know, Bombardier, Nova and stuff. So, so Plattsburgh is a, is a viable option for them. How many, um, like, I would call it like, um, was it auxiliary company? Like when you bring in the big, you know, you bring in like a Nova bus and they have all these little small companies that kind of support the bigger, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, the, the, the queen bee or whatever you want to call it. Like how many of those do you try to draw in or do you see come in? Or like if Nova leaves, is there you know, 10 other companies that are leaving with it at like a, you know, a 50 person capacity versus a thousand. Yeah. So the suppliers that come in and and work with, with Nova or or Bombardier particularly. um, Yeah. That's definitely when a big company comes in, they draw um, some of these smaller companies because a lot of the companies like to outsource stuff now Mm -hmm. and not do it in house. So it's uh, definitely when they're coming in, it's definitely a win for us as a community yep. that they come in. And then when they leave, it's definitely a risk. I mean, that is a risk with Nova leaving. There are companies in our community that support Nova. And that's it? They just support Nova? Some support Nova and others, some just support Nova. And, uh, so those are those are pretty much are probably known that they're going to follow suit and take off. Um, or can they pivot and go do something different? Hopefully they pivot. Yeah. So I, I know the ones that are that are that are in that position are trying to pivot. Um, so on something like that, we, t- we were talking about it a little bit before, but like Nova bus, let's say they're there for another 18 months or something. If is the time it takes to potentially fill that space, how's that process work? Where if, like, we're le- like, I mean, why left, you know, you have this massive, uh, you know, building, I'm sure it's still very, um, you know, technologically, you know, suitable to a lot of places. Um, is that an easy transition? Is that a quick transition? Is that like, well, that building's going to be vacant minimum of a year? Or is it kind of like, no, like within a month, we could have someone moving in there. Like, how does that process work logistically? I guess. Yeah, so when we know, of, so we don't own the Nova business uh, building, but if we know when we have someone leaving, mm-hmm. if they give us a heads up, um, not re-signing a lease, um, we will start a soft marketing of that usually three to four months before that it's, you know, it's going to be available. Um, and then uh, usually when someone leaves a space, we'll go in and see what we need to do to you know spruce it up, renovate it, whatever needs to be done, um, while they're not there and get it ready. Um, but our expectation is within six months, it's going to be leased. 
Okay. Yeah, that's... that, that um, I've not seen, knock on Formica, yeah. I have not seen a, a space that, um, you know, it's good and bad. We're 100% full, um, yeah. which is good, and it's also bad because we like to market the region. Um, so as, as companies leave, you know, I guess I have no other choice and see it as an opportunity for someone else to come in. So like right now, you said we're at 100% capacity. We have nothing else to basically sell or rent out. Um, so the now is like you talked about the road, talking about the new buildings. Like, is that like, cause again, I'll use Billy and Mike just because there's a lot of overlap. I asked both of them, like, how do you guys plan And the same thing for TDC? Like, how do you guys plan at the beginning of the year? What are master plans going to be? What are it's for the year to, I mean, you know, I'm sure this is right up your alley, but if you were to plan that out, how good are you at sticking to that plan? And I think I asked Billy and he's like, yep. We do it, and about three days later, we crumple it up and throw it out the window because just <laughs> things are coming so quick. Um, and I just, I'm speaking from, again, on a very small operation. I look at what I want to accomplish in a year, break it down basically by priority or what's going to make the biggest impact early on. And then I really try each day to block off time to work on that before my craziness goes. And I've, I'm trying to get better at, um, I heard this phrase one time, and I kind of go back to it a lot. Like I'm, I'm allowing, little bad things happen to happen in order to get like really good big things done and i've gotten better at that which it's not an easy thing because you want to just always be like yes i'll get rid of that or i'll do that I'll, I'll um but i find that in order for me to really make progress i have to really focus on those big yeah. ticket items so when you guys line your dominoes up at the beginning of the year how good are you about just hitting the first domino second domino versus crumble up the, you know, the game plan, throw it out the window, and then you're just getting ber berated with day-to-day -day stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so that's background noise, I call what you're talking about, the okay. little issues. I mean, yeah. so, I mean, you, you, you need to put those here and uh, manage those in a separate stream than, you know, you know what, what your goals are for the year. Um, I'd say we're pretty good at uh, lining up what our, what our goals are for the year. You know, we go through and do a capital plan for 10 years and looking at our buildings, what we're going to do around maintaining them, um, and bring it, making sure that we have money aside to not just maintain them, but bring them up to the, keep them up to the current day standards yep. um, and, and elevate them in, in that fashion. Um, so we're really good at following that, um, and it, it's paid dividends for us. Um, you know, we also do a lot of work with workforce development. We put money aside for that. <clears throat> we put money aside for educational stuff. Um, all that stuff goes on no matter what's happening. Um, we budget for it. We do it. Um, we support different uh, organizations and, and things that happen throughout the uh, the year, um, and that happens. Now, with that said, we haven't had um, any big catastrophes that would say, whoa, this is going to knock us off our game. What are we going to do? Mm -hmm. um, what we do is we, we game that, though. So, you know, we once a quarter take a look at what's happening with, with not only our business, but the businesses around us. And, you know, a good example is like Sterex is leaving, right? So, yeah, yeah. You know, and so there's going to be two buildings sitting there open now. Not part of yours? Not, okay. not part of ours. So how does that impact us and how does that impact the community and the availability of space? So we'll game that out and say, okay, does that make us change what we were planning on doing the rest of this year and for the next five years? And um, so we'll, we'll go through that and game that out and say, you know, what's, what's the impact to us and to the community? Um, so um, we don't pivot i don't like overreacting 
Um, okay. I'm not someone who panics on much, not much scares me. <laughs> so actually had a, a president division once said, I worried nothing scares you. And I'm like, well, did someone die? And yeah. the answer is no. I said, well, then we'll live. So, you know, we'll work through the problem, yeah. work, work the problem. It's always my, my uh, solution to things and then not to panic. And um, usually it's worked out for me. So that's how I approach it. And so we don't, we don't get knocked off our game too often. So, um, because what, and again, I'm, I just, there's, yeah, just, you have so much knowledge. That's or so many years of experience too. that. It just like when you look at, cause one of the things you said, like you didn't bring work home, nothing really bothers you. Not like, has this taken time to build up that tolerance? Um, cause usually I think as you get older, you have less cares. I'm not, I'll, I'll keep it PG, but like, you know, less cares to give kind of thing. Um, and I think, I feel like, you know, as like I'm trying to develop that kind of muscle a little bit in my own business of like, okay, just, you know, I get hit with a lot of stuff, but just, you know, I got three young kids. So it's like, can I get my stuff done? Still make all, like make all their games, make all their you know, big functions. And then, but still like make sure we're moving forward and taking care of business, but also not being overwhelmed and being stressed to no end. Like, how do you deal with all that? And how do you deal with, um, potentially, I guess your date, let's start there. I have follow-ups on that. But how do you kind of keep, how do you keep your wits about you when everything's just like happening? Cause you're not just someone that's going in punching the clock and leaving. Like you're making big decisions. You're involved. You're at higher level. I'm, I'm assuming a lot of, uh, cognitive, like, um, I won't say stress, but cognitive, like working your brain quite a bit each, each and every day or week. Like how do you kind of manage all that? Yeah. First off, I love it. Okay. <laughs> so that's, if you knew me well, um, I love the game. <laughs> Yeah. So, as they would say, right? Yeah, um, so, so that never has stressed me out in my life. It's not something I grew into. I've never, maybe in my twenties, I wasn't that way. I don't know, but, but uh, you know, I love the game, and um, I've never thought of myself as being the smartest person in the room. So, I don't try to solve everything myself. I tried, like I said before, surround myself with really good people, mm-hmm. especially with complementing strengths that I know they have experiences I don't have, and knowledge, and and I listen to them. And, you know, and, and when their voice is good, I follow it. Um, so um, I don't panic. Um, also, how do I, you know, when I say don't take my work home, I used to work. So when I, my previous job, when I had sites, I'd be up at um, four in the morning with Australia. And then I'd go do my day job, I'd call it in Rouse's Point, And then I'd be on the phone until 10 o'clock. Sorry, I'd be up at four in the morning with uh, Europe. <clears throat> and then I'd go do my day job in the afternoon, in the day. Rouse's point, then I'd be with Australia until about 10, 11 o'clock at night doing meetings. So mm-hmm. I worked all the time. Um, so, um, and I did not mind that. I actually enjoyed it. And, um, and I love solving problems with solutions and stuff. And I'm just not someone who goes back. So, you know, it's when you look at something's going wrong, I'm, I'm not, I I'm, I'm a, don't like people to sit there and start saying, you know, how did you miss that? What'd you do that? It's like, we can deal with that later. Let's focus on fixing, finding a solution to the problem. Yeah. And then we'll do a postmortem later. I, I don't let, to me, that's noise. Mm. Okay. We, we, we need to figure that out so we don't, doesn't happen again, but focus on, let's get through this, figure out the solution and make us better. Um, and I just, I've never panicked. I, mean, I, I had a quality person once say to me, I don't know how you stay so calm in the, in the crisis of the pharmaceutical world, which can be very, very yeah. high, oh, high yeah. stress, yeah. trust me. Um, and it's just, it's just my uh, personality is how I'm made up. Um, I don't panic. Not much scares me. Um, and I just take things one at a time. And not that I, I do multitask quite well, but uh, 
Do Do you find that um, obviously being in a leadership position that rubs off on everybody else? When they see you're not sweating, they're not sweating. Yeah, I think so. Okay, I think definitely people look to you. I mean, I learned I learned this um, early on when I took over the Rouse's Point site. Um, hey, you need to own it because it's you're the buck stops with you. Yeah, I can't blame Joe or or Sue over here anymore. It's like, no, this is my decision. This is what we're doing. I know you're not all going to like it. Some will, some won't, but I'm okay with that. Right? I mean, at some point in life, you realize not everybody needs to be your friend. Right? Yeah, I mean, early on in life, I think you want everyone to be your friend and stuff. Doesn't mean you aren't friendly to them and nice to them, mm-hmm. but if they don't like you, sometimes that's okay, right? So I don't let that get to me. Um, and I think most people like me, but I'm, I know there's some people that probably don't, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. Yeah. That's my opinion, their problem, not mine. So, um, so you stop caring about that as much. So you start owning things, um, and you also learn that words are important. And so when you're up talking in front of two thousand people. Um, that their livelihoods are based on what you're saying, you are really careful with the words you use and, and how you say it. Um, so um, I learned that lesson you know, early on, probably my early 40s. You know, you got to be really careful what you say sometimes. And um, so that's important. Um, so I think when you do those kind of things, if you do it right, people see that and they do respond. Um, you know, integrity is big to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, being truthful, owning your mistakes are all huge to me. So... Um... Because again, selfishly, I'm, I'm jumping on some of these. So like when you, because that's something I've, I've been trying to develop too of the, like, I don't care, not like, I don't care about a person. I don't care what they think and not, and I do it more of like, if it's what I want to do and it's, I've thought it through, I'm not a very impulse person, um, meaning I'll, I'll think through the stuff to make sure that I'm making a good decision um, and not a decision where I'm nitpicking it but i'm just like i just want to make sure i feel like i have all the information i need and then i'll make a decision and then once i do that then same thing like i can live with my decisions and i'm always a kind of like my guiding star on most things is is i base it off of intent meaning if i'm doing it with the right intent and i try to treat people the, the way they want to be treated those are really the only two things i focus on so if i my thing is if I can go to bed at night knowing I did the right thing, can sleep well at night, then I'm fine. And yeah. someone may not like that. And right. that's not my, like you said, that's their opinion, not mine. I can't control that. And I think that that's done well for me. Have a, has it kept me up at night or maybe think about it or stress out on certain things? Yes. But I, I've learned, I mean, as with anything, the bad things stay in your mind for a couple days or a week and then they, you forget all about them. And yeah. it's yeah. never been the opposite. It's always yeah. stayed that way. They, they, they just kind of like wash off. So, yeah. I mean, it's interesting as an individual, you always think that, you know, something that happened to you that everyone else is, it's like the center of their world to their pain, like paying attention to yeah. it. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. I mean, early on with the closure of the Rouse points, I used to get interviewed all the time on TV or by the press. And I was misquoted once and, and, um, I was really not happy. <laughs> so, so the editor and I had a conversation, but, um, um, but the reality is, so that would have been in the paper for one day, two days later, no one would have known or cared. Yeah. Right. I mean, so you always think, Oh, so was that, it changed prior or did it go out? Oh, uh, they changed, but, but they put it online at oh. night. It was wrong. So, but, um, but even, even in that case, what I learned is, especially if you're public speaking and stuff, you say something wrong, just keep going. Cause most of the people have no idea what you're talking they're about. Not anyways. Yeah. They're not listening or they don't understand. Yeah. They don't have the background. So unless it's something so egregious, just, just keep going forward and, yeah. uh, and move on and, um, and not overthink. So I'm not an overthinker, you know, 
Uh, I really do not believe in overthinking things. I think, uh, you know, I'd rather have a decision than no decision, mm-hmm. right? To me, a decision that's based off 80% of what you need to know is better than trying to get 100%. Where they say um, perfection is the evil of good, right? So, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I, I do believe that. I think, you know, good enough is probably good enough. And uh, so if you wait to get perfection, you're never going to get anything done. So I really, I have a bias for action. And I think that uh, people should be making decisions moving forward and learn from them. Um, yeah, because I mean, as, as a CEO, like one of your main roles is decision making. Yeah, like that's pretty much what it is. And I think it. I mean, you get to a certain point where I heard this, uh, and this obviously, um, you know, is an extreme example. But I heard this guy once say, like, at some point in time, as you keep growing, like your job is going to be to read like a book a day, basically, where like you don't have to do a lot of the work because your decision making has to be so good. And I, I think he was quoting Warren Buffett on this, and they talk about Warren Buffett reads hours and hours a day because he's just reading reports and stuff. But then he'll make one move a year tops. But he spent all this time just died, like you know, with such a selective thing. But like that one move made billions of dollars. Yeah. But it's like such a. Um, so like I, I feel like at a certain point, like right now, you're not on the line doing a bunch of things. Like you're at the point where you're like, okay, Dave, David, we need you to make one or two big decisions this year that kind of like set the tone. And then you make those, but you have a lot of input on them. But, right, am I right yeah, in thinking that? Absolutely right. I mean, yeah. you're more strategic. Yeah. There's more strategy involved in what the higher up you go. I don't want to say you work. You don't work as hard. It's a different. Yeah. It's, it, like you said, it's more of a mental. It's more strategy. It's more, you know, thinking out, looking at the big picture, looking forward, mm-hmm. um, some looking back um, and uh, trying to think what's the direction you want to take. Are we Are we doing the right things? Um, and definitely, and I read a lot, (laughs) so I love reading. Um, I constantly read, I'm reading all the time. And, um, so it's, uh, it's definitely a different role. You know, how I I tell you how I was successful in my early years was I outworked people. Yeah. Like I said, I never, I, I, to this day, I'm never the smartest person in the room. I know I'm not. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you looked at where, I don't know where I sat, but if you looked at where I sat in my high school class, I guarantee you I was not in the top 20. Um, and there's like 260 kids in my class, I think. Was I in the top 100? I don't know, maybe. Um, but um, but all those kids that uh, were smarter than me, I have outworked them. And yeah. that was always my approach, out-prepare, out-work. Um, I still do it to this day. If I know I'm going into a difficult conversation, I look at every angle, what, what could I be hit with, and um, how can I be better prepared than the person that's going to come at me. Um, and, and, and like you said, I... I uh... And this is, I think if someone asked me like a hobby, and I think you kind of pointed on for you, like I love learning and I love researching and I love, and it's not like, it could be random stuff. I go down like a rabbit hole online and start like <laughs> Wikipedia. Next thing I know, I'm like layers deep and I'm learning about something that I'm like, what? how did, like I got to go back to see what I was even looking at to get to this level. But there's a lot of stuff just business wise. Like you said, it's, it's like, what's the nat- next natural progression or what's the next thing that I have to learn to like breakthrough and it's most of the stuff if i was like okay i i hit a certain level in my business i'm like i could ride this wave for 30 more years be very you know whatever i like be fine and i'm like you know what i get bored and and my thing is like i want to stress my i want to like i want a stressor on me meaning i want to challenge myself to your brain's a muscle yeah and you need to exercise it yeah 
so I feel like every day I'm, when you say like reading, like same thing, it could be reading this, could be reading a blog, could be reading, you know, physical books, it could be rereading books. I listen to a lot of podcasts I, and I'm, I'm trying to, I was reading more last year book wise, like I tried to have a certain amount of numbers of books. And then I found, which was fine, I, I hit my goal. I wanted to read 60 books and I read like 63 or 64 books. And like, and this was between listening audiobooks and, and, and reading. And then I got to this year and I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to hit that number again. And I've probably have read 20 books this year. But I'll tell you, I think I've reread books. I've read parsh half of books and not finished them um, just because I wasn't getting anything out of it. So I'm like, why why get to the end just to say you got to the end? I could show you on here too. I've stopped several books. It's like, yeah. it's not worth my time. Well, and, I, and I heard a good quote um, once about like, at, what was it? Take 100 minus your age there's a guy there's an author i follow quite a bit he said take 100 minus your age and so for me i'm 33 now so it said basically by page 77 if it's not grabbing you just put it down yeah and then obviously however old you are david you know you you would work that a little, way a little bit older than that so so like you, so let's say you hit page 60 we'll, yeah. we'll put it at 60 for you but let's <laughs> say you, you hit page 60 like whatever that is then it's like because at the end of the day it's like as you get older you kind of know what's going to resonate better and you kind of already filtered through a lot of the of whatever the input is so now i'm really trying to go more like niche in certain categories and go deeper there than trying to go super broad because i'm like i kind of did that and now i know these things are popping out now so let me just focus on those versus trying to constantly read for volume i want to now read more for understanding or read more for um competency in some stuff and then once i get that that's probably going to open up another door i'm like okay now i'm going to go down that path and yeah. learn it versus yeah so i don't i mean how do you approach that well you're you... learning the value of time yeah <laughs> so, i mean you know as as you get i, I didn't who the gentleman was that came up with that calculation but basically what he's saying is as older you get the more you understand the value of your time yeah and um, i'm not going to waste it on things that don't grab my attention right so if i'm starting to do something i, I started a book yesterday and stopped 10 pages in and don't, if you do the math that's not how old i am okay. but uh, but uh i stopped 10 pages so you've aged very well then yeah right and uh and I just realized just I put, I put it aside. Maybe I'll go back to it someday, but it's not grabbing me. I don't want to read it. Um, so I'll find something else. And um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, you look for things that interest you. and that um, I like to look for things that are different and that give me different exposures and, and come from a different direction than how I think sometimes, yeah. you know, to get, to get a broad perspective. And then it, it just helps. I think it's so easy to be insular in your life, mm-hmm. um, especially when you live in a small community like this and not get out of your space. I mean, if, I think if you talk to the average person in Clinton County, how many times did they get out of Clinton County um, other than maybe flying to Florida for a yeah, week on the beach? Rich. Yeah. I mean, how much are they really getting out in the world? It's probably a very small percentage. So one way to do that is read, mm-hmm. right? So if you can't get out, um, have the time or the money, the resources, or you're just afraid to travel, um, you know, you can read, right? And that can bring you to different places. So so re- reading to me is really important to do that. Um, it's one way to experience things that you might not be able to. And when you, when you talk about um, like reading, when you say like history, like what kind of books do you gravitate towards? Like these historical um, autobiography books or I mean biography, I should say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I like reading about Lincoln and uh, different. Uh, I really try to tie to things to leadership roles, mm-hmm. you know, some of the great wars and stuff, some of the leaders, um, and and try to do that. I had the fortune to spend a, a week in Gettysburg uh, okay. once. It was uh, for, and uh, the guy I was working for at the time, in Wyeth, um, brought his leadership team there, and 
we would spend the morning being lectured on leadership and how Lincoln approached leadership. And then in the afternoon, we'd walk all the hollow grounds and walk to battlefields and get a total explanation of what happened where. So it was really pretty interesting. It really grabbed my attention on, well, I think I want to learn about some of these leaders, some of these people that went through these really difficult um, situations in their life and found a way to, to lead men and women through it. So how, like, what, what was, like, if you could kind of say in like a nutshell of uh, Lincoln's leadership, how was his? Oh, Lincoln... Lincoln, if, if he ever had heard the term, uh, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer, really believed that. So Lincoln tried to bring people from the different political factions together on his, um, on his leadership group. Um, so he believed in inclusion and in trying to include people. And, uh, and I, that's one way I have approached how I, I lead. I don't look at it that they're my enemies. I look at it that I try to bring different points of view and thought thought processes together um, but he definitely um, this, the politicians today could learn a lot from Lincoln um, how to how to govern he wasn't very political though right or was he no no I don't think he was political I mean, political meaning like very um, he was pretty moderate I would think yeah yeah, yeah. Um, if what so like just to say leadership what leaders do you look up to or what leaders you know historically or even I mean now that you would look up to yeah well, I'd, I'd look up to, like I just said, Lincoln. He's. Mm-hmm. If you ask me who I'd want to have dinner with, it'd be. I'd love to have the opportunity to sit down. You sure you haven't listened to these podcasts? My last couple, no. I I pulled some questions off, and one of them was oh. actually it was funny. Um, <laughs> so I said to Billy. Billy said Teddy Roosevelt. Asked Cashman. He said uh, Franklin Roosevelt, and then you just said Lincoln. It those, could be anybody in the world. You guys all, all, pick, all, all presidents. Are, so. Yeah, they're, those are good choices. They're, they're all great choices. I but mean, I was like, you know, like. Yeah. Jesus, like any, like just like random people that people yeah. say, like, no, like all presidents. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Who do I look up to today? I mean, that's hard to do without getting political. <laughs> well, I mean, but I mean, just in, yeah. in, I mean, it could be history too. Like anybody yeah. that you're, and it doesn't have to be politics. I mean, just in, in general, if they're leading something, it could be a baseball manager, it could be a run, running a company. Well, I like Derek Jeter. <laughs> the captain. <laughs> there you go. The captain. He's a captain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Yankees. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I, there's no one I can really pull out of my head that I'm going to say I uh, I would follow, you know, through with today. I mean, everyone has different aspects. I think of what they do that I like. I mean, there's there's no one person that's perfect, mm-hmm. right? I mean, different people bring different things to the table, strengths and weaknesses, and um, so there's certain things I like about you know different different people and what they do, and. Uh, Without getting most, unfortunately, most of the things now are politics, and uh, yeah. I really not get into politics. No, that's so. fine. Like, I, well, I always look at like you hear like a Phil Jackson in sports, how he had like he led a bunch of championships, yeah. and then you go to, yeah. um, I mean, even back like John Wooden, like obviously yeah. the classic leadership, and the, I mean those are in the sport arena, and then you know you can go in political arena, um, and I think as you, I think nowadays, which is, and again, I want to ask you this pol- political science. You take like let's take. You know Biden, Trump. You know you got you get the last handful of presidents that have been very polarizing, or I, I say maybe aren't or are, but it's portrayed that way in the climate that we're in. Do you think that if you took a Lincoln, or if you took a Roosevelt, or if you took a FDR, uh, or even a George Washington back in those days, and you pulled them into 2023, and you have all the technology and all the internet, and just I mean the capability that things happen across the world, we hear about it in split second and see it live. I mean, back then they were sailing across boats to hand deliver yeah. letters. Yeah. Um, do you think that the character of these people would be the same, different? Because um, I mean, at the end of the day, we're we're all um, you know 
our DNA is the same. Like there's not a whole lot of difference in 300 years. Um, you know, would they have react? Do you think reacted differently? Do you think they're just a product of where they were? Like everybody puts Lincoln or puts, you know, um, George Washington always on like the top list of best presidents. But if they were in 2023, would people be like, Lincoln's kind of a, he's kind of a prick, you know, or, you know, or whatever yeah. they might bash him about. Like, like his wife's or his kids or what he did this with this dealing with some other country. Like, do you think that that would be more polarizing? I would think they'd be more polarizing now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think the question you're asking is, does the situation make the person or does the person make the situation? Right. So, um, I, I, it's kind of like pain, right? So if you ever have knee surgery or anything, okay. you know, you forget, you forget the, the pain. And uh, so uh, you would go and do it again if you needed to have knee surgery again. Okay. Um, and if you're a woman, maybe childbirth is the example. Um, but I think there's probably a lot of things about Lincoln and some of the historical figures that we've kind of, they kind of, they're not written about as much. So was, was Lincoln, Lincoln mean, you know, like you were, you were saying, Probably some people would say he was he was too tough. Um, um, so I do think in today's world with social media and everything, instant you know gratification and messaging of everything that's happening, I think they'd all struggle. I, I think um, I don't really think there's one. If you talk about politicians that are there today that they created the problems that are here today. I think it's been an evolution. And I think, oh yeah, I think the internet is what started it, um, and uh, I think AI is going to put it on steroids. But uh, well, so I think is the situation makes the person not like I. I yeah. think most of these people, like if they, I do too. Yeah, like yeah. I think you're just thrown into. And, and again, I would say I feel like I'm a pretty good person. I guarantee, if I was in a the president role, I would have a lot of people that hate me, and I'd have a lot of people that love me, yeah. and I'd have a lot of yeah. bad like not true stories said about me and then yeah. things that are, you know, that are true that aren't publicized that are good or bad, yeah. you know, like, and so a lot of it is, you know, media drives a lot. And like right now it's, you know, you can always strip it down to money because like they want to go with what gets the clicks and the and sponsorship. So, I mean, then you start, that's a big business yep. and, yep. and you're like, well, we're just reporting the news. And I'm like, I would say if most people took a poll and, a very high percentage would say like, I don't think it's really just the new, like, you know, yeah. there's always a, an ulterior motive, yeah, but yeah, yeah. so I do think it's hard to compare. And then you also think like over time, especially if you go like, they're a little bit more modern, but if you go 500 years ago and you're trying to say, is that King of England good or bad? Or is that person back in the Roman empire good or bad? We're only getting what was Right. outlived by like transcriptions and things that were passed. Like yeah. who knows, like maybe all the slandering stuff was burnt at some point. Cause someone's like, I don't want them to know yeah. about that Pope. So here's all the good stuff about him. Yeah. Vice that's, versa. that's what I was trying to say before. We don't have the visibility to all the little things that went around that person because they didn't have social media. Right. Yeah. It wasn't online. Um, there weren't people watching them, you know, 23 out of 24 hours a day. So I think it's, it's, it's a total different reality. So I don't, those people I don't think are perfect. And I think if you read about some of the books that are written about some of them, they tell you, I mean, they are not perfect individuals. I, I, uh, this is something I actually got from reading because I think reading like can slow your mind down, allow you to relax. And, and I get, I get thoughts as I read and I, and sometimes they just turn into weird stuff, but I think I've challenged my brain more where I start to have these moments where not that they're good or bad, but they're just thoughts that I never would have had a handful of years ago. And it's, it's kind of funny, but even just thinking about, you know, let's say George Washington or let's say, you know, a Roman emperor, you know, 
1500 years ago and you start like did they look much different not really like human wise they look about the same they had to eat they had to you know they had the shower they had they laughed at jokes they you know they think of everything that we do and it's always funny like you put a you know ben franklin or leonardo da vinci or marcus aurelius or you put all like these people on a pedestal because they're from history and you're like they stubbed their toe they and i know this sounds funny but like they did all these things that we do like they forgot to grab something back in that day like ah oh, i forgot not the keys but i forgot to grab like the loaf of bread to bring to the party like crap and like now i gotta run out and do that and then like my kid's crying and like they all experienced all this stuff, but then like we only hear about these certain roles. But yeah. then when you like, well, they were a human. They had, they lived seventy years. They had all these experiences. They had friends. They, you know, they they got sick. They had death. They had um, their first heartbreak. They had like they had all these things that we experience as humans. But we always like because we're living it. We seem like oh we have all these things, but they were perfect. I'm like well they're no they're not like they yeah. they picked their nose. They did like all these things that and I. Sometimes I put it in perspective, and I do it a lot with um, anytime I ever felt, and I don't do it as much anymore. I still do it a little bit, but not as much. When I first got in like, like the professional world, I was intimidated by older people because I was like, wow, I'm like 20, yeah. and therefore I don't know as much as they know. And then you realize that I might know more than someone that's older than me, but I might know less than someone that's younger than me. And then I also know that I don't have to be intimidated by someone that's 20 years older than me because at the end of the day, they're now kind of a peer of mine and I can learn from them, but I don't have to be intimidated as they're like this walk on water person. And, and having done so many podcasts and talking to a lot of people, then you realize like, like most people are just fun people, people and they want to, and they want to have fun and they want to talk yeah. about other stuff. Yeah. And, um, and I, that's something that I've always, I've been trying to level the playing field or when you're like, I can't do that. I'm like, yeah, but that person did. And that person like had a bad day like I did, or that person like listens to the same music. I like whatever they played soccer. Like, and I know it's like simple, but in my mind it brings everybody back down to human. Like, and that it's my way of not being intimidated by stuff. Or even if I'm in a, a situation where, you know, if it's work or if it's something outside or, you know, I, I look at it as like, okay, we're just people and we're having a conversation and then like, how's the best way to go about it? But I don't feel, maybe it's a weird way of looking at it, but I try no, to humanize everybody. It's the right way to look at it. I mean, when you first start public speaking, I was at a, a meeting a couple weekends ago, a couple weeks ago, and this lady was speaking and she's she's she said, and we got to the microphone, I'm not a good public speaker, but I'm very intelligent, so please bear with me and she was not a good public speaker and part of it was she she got herself so wrapped up she wasn't breathing so one of the things you learn when you first public speak is breathe right don't it's kind of like sports yeah so i love skiing forget when i first start skiing in the in you know december um i have to remind myself breathe because you know don't think like just just breathe because you stop breathing because you're you know and so public speaking is the same thing so I was watching this woman basically hyperventilating, trying to speak. And it's like something I learned a long time ago is make sure you breathe. Yeah. Right. And then the next thing is you're just talking to people. And yeah. if you're up talking to people and you, you just, just pretended you're friends, you know, yeah. just look at like, I just, just, I'm just talking to Galen. He's one of my friends, you know, it's no big deal. And uh, so you just, you got to relax yourself and understand that everybody's the same. 
And, uh, and, and, you're, and you're usually talking about something you know. Right. So the, the, that's another key is people always say, well, you know, what do you do for public speaking? How do you prepare? First off, you need to know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. so if you know what you're talking about, um, then you can learn to relax um, and, and do something to use it. When I, when I would speak in front of literally be thousands of people sometime, uh, you, you need to get yourself opened up at first, right? So yeah. I'd always start with a joke or some light story about something real quick just to get centered. Yeah, and then you go into the conversation, and um, and I I could go on different strategies I have, but um, depending on what you're doing, but yeah, definitely um, know what you're talking about. If you don't know what you're talking about, you're in trouble. Uh, yes, and I find that most people are only nervous when they don't know what they're talking yeah. about, or they don't think they know what they're talking about. Right. And I um, like my wife the other day had to do a presentation at Plattsburgh State, and she had to speak in front of like 200 people, and she was nervous about it. And I remember telling I, I might have text I had kind of told her, and then I texted her for what I said. I said, just remember, you know more, more about this than they do. Yeah. And you're prepared. Like, you're fine. Like, you know what you're talking about. Just, like, tell people. Like, don't. And I think that's what most people get wrapped up. Like, ah, oh, they're going to, like, think I'm a fraud. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, or imposter syndrome. Like, yeah. I trust you, you know, more than, like, you talk to me about it. And I'm asking you questions. And I'm like, now you're talking to a bunch of kids that are in college that are probably half asleep still. I'm like, yeah. they're they're fine. Like, they're not going to be judging you on, on it. But, so... And then the question on uh, when you talk about time, like valuing time, because this is also something I've tried to get better at of like when you said like the worth of your time, putting the book down. But like what things have changed um, from early in your career to now? Like what do you what do you put your focus? How do you filter out what is not really important? How do you know what to prioritize or what to really put your energy into? Because um, I think at this point, too, you've learned how to, you know, uh, um conserve energy a little bit like i right yeah. i'm thinking like decisions and just kind of decision fatigue and things like that like how yeah. do you pick what you focus on how do you pick on what you punt yeah i mean for, you gotta look at what your mission is what you're trying to achieve right mm -hmm. and if if something is i call it noise background noise mm -hmm. is is not going to get to where get you to where you need to be um i like i said i put it in a separate bucket I put it over here. It doesn't mean I usually carry a small little notebook with me and I'll jot something down. If some, something comes up that I think is going to pull me off mission, I'll write it down real quick. Um, one of the strategies I've, I've used is, um, and I used to do this in big operation meetings, and people would think you're not paying attention. I'd always have a laptop with me and I'd be in a room with, um, with 20 people from a site, you know, going through their operation. Um, and I'd have a finance person that traveled with me and um, sometimes a quality person, and I would be using my laptop to send them notes, take notes for myself, and send them things that are, that's being said that we need to follow up on or, or dig deeper into. So, mm -hmm. you know, use strategies to say, I don't want to go into this right now, um, but I want to focus on, you know, how do we get from, we came here with the, with the idea we want to get from A to D and not get caught up with something that's outside that. Um, and and what what's important to the mission? Like I said before, did someone die? Someone, no one's going to die because of this. Um, we need to stay on task and, and not get caught up. Um, there's always people that will derail you. Mm -hmm. You get into the conversation, um, and you know you don't want to go into the weeds. You want to stay at a certain level. They'll start trying to drag you down into those weeds. Um, you know, it's you. It's always a value judgment you got to make. You know, not to offend them but to move them off of that. Um, and so, you know, strategies I use is, is to not to say we're not interested in that, but that's great. Uh, we're going to put this over here and we're going to go through that later. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to focus more on, on this topic versus, you know, 
deviating off to what you're talking about, which might have a lot of value, but it's not valuable for what we're trying to do today. So a lot of it is really laying out what you want to do when you're meeting with a group or when you're meeting, um, running a meeting is setting up a strong agenda, setting up here's the goal of the meeting, um, going through that as you go through. And if it's not in a meeting, it's just in your head. If you're do- looking at something, um, understanding as you're going into something, here's my goals individually I want to try to achieve. Um, and if if not on a piece of paper, mentally doing a check mark that, okay, I've, I've addressed this. I, I, I'm talking about this. I got the answer I want out of it. And if someone or something starts trying to pull you off of that, you know, come back to what the next thing is in your in your list of goals and not allow that to get sidetracked. Um, it's it's more about trying to steer direction of conversations. Um, you know, I, like I said, time can get short, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you don't want to get bogged down on things that are really not important. I, uh, like, one of the things I've tried, to, that's the other thing too, is I've gotten way, if you would have told me a year ago or two years ago, I'm way better at it now because I've been focusing on it for a while, is having that initial list and then i would i usually meet like every about six months i kind of reevaluate the next six months like i have a kind of a plan for a few years out but i really look at like what's the action steps over six months because i think three months for me on certain things is it'd be a little too frequent and then a year would be too much like i kind of like the half year breakdown but I do think things come up and I have you know, spreadsheets and stuff where it's like, okay, I have it. That's going to be on there. So I don't, like you said, so I don't forget it, but I, I really, and I will actually bring that in in the six months as like, okay, now I'm going to bring what I'm working on, what I want to work on and maybe some new stuff. And if any of that, based on what I've done, could have taken the place or could this thing I thought was important actually get punted, which I, every six months, there's like a big pillar. I'm like, you know what? That's not going to be a thing now. And I feel like that's kept me on track. I think the, um, and like I said, I'm not um, super old, but I think I'm like, I'll turn into a cratchety old man a little bit earlier than other people. Is that like, I'm now getting to the point where I want to say no more to, to people. Yeah. And I, it's like I said, it's, you go where you want to be everybody's friend and like, I want to be friendly to everybody, but I'm not trying to do stuff because I want people to like me. So I look at now between work and three young kids that my, time i'm gonna be selfish with it's either gonna go to work it's gonna go to my kids or it's gonna go to something i actually want to do in the free time i have um where you know when someone asks like hey i have this event coming up or this party or this thing like are you gonna go to it and usually the the default answer for most people is like yeah well let me check and i'll get back to you and they know they're not gonna do it i'd rather just say you know what i appreciate it that's not gonna happen yeah and i've said that more this year than i ever have in my life combined because I'm kind of like, you know what? I know I won't go to that. Yeah. And I think it's great. And I re- really appreciate you inviting me. There's there's a 0% chance I'm showing up to that event. Yeah. I, I say it nicely, but I also don't want to leave it where there's – like I want to be black or white. Like yeah. yes or no, not like, hey, I'll get back to you. And then I either feel obligated to do it because I'm like, ah, oh, I probably should do it because I'm going to – whatever thought in my head makes me think that. Or then I finally just come back, hey, you know what? And I'm like, I'm just wasting time because that's something that weighs on me and I have to make a decision. Yeah. I can just nip it in the bud now and I'm out. And like, yeah, yeah it, I call that straight talk. So, yeah. you know, being upfront with people and not mixing words sometimes and not leading people on or giving them false hope. Um, so um, it's definitely, I mean, you hit on it. You learn to say no more than yes, right? Mm-hmm. So if it's something you don't want to do, um, no. And we used to do this. We'd go down through the list, uh, you know, every quarter 
through the year and look at the things we had listed we're going to do and say, what can we say no to on here that we're not going to get done? We, we don't have enough time to do everything. What what doesn't hold the value now that we're looking backwards and forwards from when we set this list together? The other thing I do is every night I, I make out a list of what I'm doing the next day. You know, what's important to me to achieve tomorrow? Mm-hmm. I do it every night. And, uh, and when I get to the next morning, doesn't mean someone can't have an argument to change what I'm doing, but I pretty much try to stay on that focus unless something comes along um, and does that. I also have what I call a BHAG list. Um, you know, Big Dan, audacious, hairy yeah, goal, yeah, whatever it is. Yeah. So Big I, hairy audacious goal. Yep. Yeah, so I love BHAGs. And um, so if someone comes along with something and I think it's far reaching and it's a great idea, and it's big. I put it on our BHAG list. It never comes off for the year. Then we get to the end of the year and we look at what we've done for our BHAGs. And um, and quite frequently, we I introduce that to the staff at TDC because we used to do that a lot in my previous career. And uh, they embrace it, and we actually do BHAGs. And uh, at first, it was it was funny. They thought it was hysterical. so. It's once a year you do that. We come up with a list. You can add to it at any time. Gotcha. Yeah, and so but and nothing ever comes off the list until um, it's done. And, until it's done or when you get to the next year and say, we want to reevaluate, should that gotcha. be on the BHAG list? And okay. should we take it off or not? Um, an example would be our office building. Mm-hmm. So we built a 5,000-square-foot office building that was on the BHAG list to start. And that's back when we were sharing space in one of our other buildings that was being used for manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And um, you know nobody wants to spend the money to build a, a, its own standalone building. And, um, you know, got on our BHAG list and we gave, you know, we worked through the pros and cons of doing it and refined that, refined that and finally presented it. And uh, we ended up getting the approval to build the building. And, and everyone on the board now um, would tell you it was the right thing to do, having our own standalone professional type building. And uh, but that was came off a BHAG list. So how many how many items go on the BHAG list a year typically? Uh, Twelve. Okay, and, a little and more than ten. Yeah. So they're all, let's say ten or twelve, they can all be accomplished in about. I mean, I know it's not straight. Like in a month, you're taking one off. But like realistically, your goal is to try to get one of those off probably a month. Nah, it's too much. They're big. Okay. They're usually big ideas. I mean, so even though there's twelve, knowing you're not going to accomplish them we in won't the year, accomplish them, no. But you'll still keep them up there. Yep. And then yep. how do you prior? Do you, I mean, is there a way no. to prioritize them? Don't prioritize them. Okay. No, we there's and there's no judgment. It's like you can put anything you want on the BHAG list. Now, if it's something simple, we're going to say it doesn't really fit a BHAG, right? It's, it's not. It's got to be big. It's got to be something that's groundbreaking that you're thinking, wow, okay. So, um, so um, yeah, we won't do them all in the year. If we get two of them done in a year, that's good. So Okay. It's, I, yeah, it's not something you're planning on doing every day. Yeah, like I I, uh, I, I would say the I have on like like I said, if six months, there's probably like four things I try to do in six months, and this and typically I get through two to three of them guaranteed. But, but these aren't things that you're doing on a normal operation. These are things that are like, wow, wouldn't it be great to have this? So yeah, so I'll actually watch this. So, I mean. We haven't actually looked up anything wouldn't, today. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great to have a daycare center in one of our buildings? Okay, there's a BHAG. That's on for you B- guys. Yeah, that's on that's on one of our BHAGs yeah. right now. Wouldn't it be great to put a daycare center so, in our in our park? So I yeah. So I would say like like we have. I mean, I got a bunch of stuff up here, but like this was so put put in per, uh, perspective. Like we have our. Like my mid-year, so I have a bunch of stuff kind of on this living document. And if I scroll all the way over, these are all things that we got done 
that I would say, if you look up here, most of these things going down were big things that need to be done in the office. They're not like, cause I try to focus on, I try to limit shiny objects for me. So I really try to focus on if it's gonna be, like I bought this building about a year ago. I spent 10 weeks going through this building, doing what I need to get done, hired out some work, did a lot of work you know, myself. Um, that was like a big thing, you know, so that got crossed off. Yeah, buying spilling is a big thing. Yeah, and then moving us in here and getting things up and running. And, but it was 10 weeks of like living here basically, and that's what I did. To like, me, the BHAG would be the decision to buy the building. Everything else beyond that is just, okay, that's the, that's okay. the result of buying the building that you had to upgrade, you had to go through and renovate it. Okay, so yeah, so my so I guess the way I looked at it was, buying getting up fully operational like because i wanted to check that off like it's done i don't mm -hmm. have to do it again i mean you, you know minor stuff but yeah. like it's done and then as we went through most of it like things that we did were like revamping major systems that we had that took months to do because i you know i mean i don't i'm not gonna talk like how to think through it because you've done plenty of this in you know in your career but all the little steps and yeah. then you know the thinking and the processing and kind of like figuring it all out and the amount of stuff that we've done in a year by doing this is tremendous, but yeah. more than we've ever made or progress we've made. And now I'm trying to get to the point, like you said, if you're going through all this stuff and you have deadlines and you have certain things, like each thing is a stepping stone up. And in the long term of kind of like where I'd want to go, they all build towards that or they free me up to work on different things. And I think the my biggest thought process on that is if you – like I know – like I'm trying to punt little things to get those big things done. And it's hard because you like want to not let things fall through the cracks or you want to not let people down or you want it. But then I'm slowly getting to the point where I'm becoming more comfortable with that. And I think it's only going to progress more extreme where I'm like, you know what? I don't mind that someone's on my case for three days on something that I literally just punted. Cause I'm like, you know what? That takes 10 minutes, but I don't want to give that 10 minutes up right now. And, yeah. Um, but I think over time these build and I think because like you said, the muscle, the building of the muscle in my head is kind of building off where it's, you know, I'm getting stronger at making these decisions, but I, I hope like, you know, 10 more years when I'm your age, you know, that we, when, <laughs> you, when, when, when you, uh, <laughs> like my, my goal is that like learning from people like, like yourself or just reading and keep getting better that. I'm way better than I was five, 10 years ago. And I hope that I'm blowing myself out of the water in five to 10 years from now where I'm just constantly getting better, but I can feel a shift in how I'm thinking. I can feel a shift in how I'm reacting. And, all, and most of it's internal where it's like how I, um, how I feel based on stuff. Like I might've felt uncomfortable doing things. Yeah, I was gonna say, you're not gonna be better. You're just gonna be, it's more gonna comfortable. be e more comfortable, easier making that decision. Just, I'm gonna do this or I'm not doing it. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna take this chance or I'm not going to, you know, it's just, it, the stakes don't won't seem as big to you. Yes, to do it. and I and, or like you said, you don't care what people think as much. So yeah. that's what most of us are, are afraid of making decisions yeah. is because of what people will think, and yeah. then you realize like nobody. I, uh, Half the people aren't paying attention. That's it. Like I you're mean, you're in your own world, and I try to go back to that. I'm like that person doesn't get what I'm doing. Yeah, I tell my like, kids this all the time. It's like because they'll, they'll be dealing with a professor or someone, and I'll say, you know, you got to remember, you're not the center of their universe, so you're waiting for a response from them. Yeah. They're not going home and saying, I got to respond. This is the most important thing I have to do. I mean, they have lives, right? Yeah. So they'll get back to you in their time. Just relax. Yeah. And, like, and then I go back to like human. Like they yeah. want to watch Netflix tonight. They don't yeah. want it. They're tired. And, like, and don't <laughs> take it as a reflection on what they think about you. Yeah. Because it has nothing to do with you. Yeah. Right? I mean, they're in their little world 
and, and they'll look at your thing eventually and they'll respond to you. I, well, I also think too, if you, um, yeah, if you, if you get caught up in that, but you also get caught up in, and not that they, they don't care about you, but there's so many things going on that I also go back to. And I think you kind of put it like, how is someone dealing with something where I, my, my thought process is like, say that you say, send something to me or say something to me. And I'm like that. Am I missing something? I always, my, my thought process, I go into myself first. I'm like, am I, am I missing something? Did I do something? Did I not prepare? Like, what did I do first? If I'm like, I feel like I did everything. <laughs> and I still don't blame the person. But then I'm like, that's when I open the door. I'm like, okay, can you walk me through what you thought? Because I think I'm good. And there's a disconnect between yeah. the two of us. I think I've kind of self-audited my decisions like, let me kind of think through your stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's it. Like, I didn't know that line of information. Or, oh, crap, I didn't realize that. Like, I did something. I'm like, okay, good. But now we're on the same page. And usually it's not a confrontation thing. It's more of like, let me understand where yeah. we're coming from. Have you, because you, I'm sure you've been in situations that you've had hard conversations with people, right? Yeah. Okay. There's a great book called Crucial Conversations. Um, and I can't remember the author, but it's a book I used to use quite often. And I have a sister who, who, um, works in counseling okay. and uh, she works with imposter syndrome and all that type of stuff and she's doing some stuff on uh, hard conversations so I sent her the book and she's like this is unbelievable but yeah I mean crucial conversations one, are big um, yeah right there all the way over yeah 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 it's really it's, sorry it's a really good book and uh, yeah so <clears throat> yep it's uh and so I, I sent her that book and um she she loves it so um yeah it looks i'm pretty sure that's it, it looks like it it's like it's been updated since my edition but yeah <clears throat> and uh but it just talks through it gives you examples of things you can go through anywhere from work life to home life to dealing with kids spouses whatever and throws out examples and you know how to deal with conversations and um yeah, it's important to know how to navigate that. So when you have like, a, say you have a difficult conversation, what's the, what's things do you process or what's your pecking order of like how you're going to do it or have these conversations or prep or whatever? Yeah, it depends on what it is. But, um, you know, the first is try to understand the situation. So if you're talking to somebody that you're having conflict with, mm -hmm. per se, um, try to get the facts, right? Try to understand what it is from your perspective that um, is missing or not happening. Um, then when they come in, when you sit and talk with them, it's, it's really more to me, more listening to start, especially and you know, throw out, um, you know, here's why we're here. Um, and um, I'd, I'd like to understand better your perspective on whatever the situation was um, and let them go through it. Um, you know, I, I've, I've been in many of those conversations uh, more than I want to be um, where it's very difficult to get someone to step out of their, their own head, right? Where they, you, you know, um, they're not listening. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I think it's important that both sides listen. So I, I try to make sure people understand that, um, that, uh, you know, people, People always tell my kids this. People, you never know what someone's going through in life, mm -hmm. right? You always assume everything's good with them, and you don't know what else other kind of noise is happening in their life. Um, so you need to give people the benefit of the doubt and give them some space. I also think you need to make sure people understand they 
failure is okay. So if you're talking with someone in a crucial situation, make them feel at ease. If you want them to really think introspectively and and potentially come clean on something, um, make them understand that you know it varies in times. But this is a fairly safe space. This I, you know, I'm talking to you because I care. I'm talking to you because I want to make sure we move forward in the right direction, um, and we have a long, um, a long time to work with each other, right? So, um, I think part of it is I try to make people feel comfortable, try to get to the root cause of what's causing the situation, um, make sure that they understand that if we can't get through to what's really happening, we're not going to get anywhere, right? So, I mean, we need to really understand what what happened or what's happening so we can come up with a solution that we're both going to be happy with and and it might not be that i'm 100 happy you're 100 happy but we can live with the situation moving forward so it's really trying to get them to understand that that you know as the board would say resistance is futile if, if we don't engage equally um we're not gonna have a long uh, a long um partnership is this and i'm assuming you're you're pretty direct on this i'm very direct okay i mean (laughs) just like because i feel like i'm a direct person yeah i'm a very easygoing laid back people tell you but when things get serious i get very direct so when things have to be said you say them kind of yes i do it has that been because that's something too i've i'm getting better at I'll, i'll be honest i'm like i i'm like probably most people don't like confrontation kind of and i feel that I'm getting to the point now where I don't care as much. Not, not that I don't that, care. That I don't care. I, but... I care, but it, it's the consequences of me not of inaction are worse than action. Yeah. So I, I feel like if I have to say it and it's going to not turn out good or ruffle the wrong feathers or whatever, same thing. Like I've done my homework. I feel like I have to have that conversation. I have it. Let the cookie crumble wherever it goes. And then just I'm fine with Yeah taking that step once you take that step it's easy right i mean it's a fear thing you get over yeah once you take the step of being upfront and honest with somebody about that that there's a problem yep um the whole relationship becomes so much easier now they might not accept it i mean i've i've had i've done this with individuals where they come back the next day with a you know two-page list of why they're right and i'm wrong Mm -hmm. (laughs) that must be fun that's that's always a good time and uh and so you weren't listening (laughs) And, um, but, uh, most of the time, if, if you open up to somebody, you're honest and upfront and sincere about wanting them to be successful mm-hmm. and you're here, like I said, the way I manage this, I'm here to help you. And so, you know, what that might look like, um, it could be like, you know, laying out a, uh, an outline of what you should do. It, it could be calling you out when I think you're not doing something. I made an agreement with an employee that worked for me that every time she did something that I thought was off. I would, within 10 minutes, we'd have a conversation because she was doing something quite frequently and she just didn't see it. So I said, okay, I'm going to point it out to you. And not, not in front of people. You and I are going to have a conversation right after, as soon as we can. And uh, she has grown. She doesn't work for me anymore, but she works still in the industry and she has grown and done great things. It's because she listened and wanted to learn and worked and she wasn't seeing it and she she sees it. Do you find that most, I would think a lot of it comes with like an ego aspect of it, where if someone says, if you're, if you told me, Hey, Galen, I think you're screwing up on something. Yeah. It's obviously going to be a punch to my ego, you know, as I think anybody is, because nobody wants to be wrong. Like most people, you know, or, you know, I think people want to 
maybe or maybe not let you down or do something just in general. Like that's how I'm made up of like, man, if I disappointed someone, especially if it's someone that I either look up to or maybe in a superior position, I would, you know, it would sting, but then I would try to say like, okay, I'm going to work harder. And, you know, I did it with sports. I do it with work. I, you know, I try to look at that, but I'm a human. So it's like going to be a blow to me. But then I also feel like some people you say it to and they, their ego is I'm, I'm going to, like you said, I'm going to bring the piece of paper. I'm going to tell you why you're wrong, where I feel like that's a lack of accountability where yeah. like most things, even if someone said it to me, I'm like, I don't think they're right. But it, like, let me take a minute or even a couple of days to reflect on it. And like, am I doing something wrong or how could like, is yeah, that might be the case. And I try to self-reflect most days on stuff, just like, yeah. you know, and I think driving the car, you know, yeah. shower, just like whatever. Um, do you find that there's a lot of like most of the issues are ego driven if they don't take? Yeah, well, I guess ego ego's a huge thing. That's why I try to create a safe space for people. Mm-hmm. Now, if you got to the point where you've talked to this individual or you've interacted with them and many times and it's not going, I mean, there's no safe space at that point, right? Yeah. I mean, but if you're early on stages and you're trying to help someone grow and learn, we all have blind spots, right? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. we all have blind spots. If yep. you don't think you have a blind spot, you're, you're kidding yourself. Yep. There are things that we have been exposed to, we have experienced, um, we just, we've only seen it one way. Um, and, uh, you know, someone who points that out, um, either something clicks in your head, like, yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, I never looked at it from that perspective, but some people never do that. They just like see it their own way. So mm-hmm. part of it is understanding that uh, you're not infallible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we all have blind spots and we can all learn. So I think if you approach people and try to make them understand that and how you how you do it, you can try to check the ego. And I've always, it's funny you mentioned ego because one of my favorite sayings used to be when we get into big conversations or groups is check your ego at the door. Yeah. Because nothing's off the table here. There's It's a safe space. We I want every idea thrown on the table. And if someone else owns something that you're saying, that person check your ego because it's not about you, right? We're yeah. trying to fix something. We're trying to move forward. We're trying to improve. Uh, check your ego at the door. And I've used that term many times in my career because ego's getting away. And ego's making people make bad decisions. Yeah. I mean, yeah. really bad decisions. And you think about your career, um, divert a little different direction on you here, but if you think about your career, um, sometimes to get ahead, you have to do lateral moves. Yep. Right, so you need to learn foundation. Step back, yeah, or step back. You need yep. to learn foundational type stuff to build a handle something higher. I mean, when someone tells you that I want you to go over and do this, I had this guy worked for me that um, he was in production in uh, in the manufacturing, and I said I want you to go over and handle the scheduling of the operation, and he was so convinced I was pushing him aside, and I'm like, no, 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 no. I want you to understand that so you can do this job, and um, just trust me. I'm telling you, trust me this will pay off. This guy's a vice president of Pfizer now. And um, he just, you know, I got him more exposure to different things and he enabled him to move up and build on his career. So ego sometimes can, you know, ego and trust can get you in trouble. Uh, so I guess a question for you, because I would say, you know, um, I, I'm assuming based on president CEO that you're, you're leading the ship kind of thing, at, you know, and the leader do you have people that you talk to that, because one thing I find difficult is people, you know, in our business, whether it's staff or, 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 uh, you know, agents who are independent contractors, sometimes they talk to me, oftentimes they don't, you know, and I think it's just, you know, like, it's kind of like in sports, like you may not want to talk to the head coach, but you'll talk to a teammate or an assistant coach. Like, do you have, and then there's times where I find like, I, 
want to have conversations, but I need to have conversations with people that either a can understand it or want to have those conversations. So then I also, I oftentimes look at, um, other brokers I might know around the country that I, I've just, you know, come across paths with and I'm friends with, or different people locally in industries that I have conversations that are in certain similar, um, you know, maybe, you know, whatever. And do you have people like that? that you talk to, do you have people that challenge your, maybe challenge your ego or challenge your thought process? Or do you find that like, is that true? Like some days, do you have people within TDC that challenge you? Or is it sometimes where they're like, ah, he's, he's kind of the guy there and I don't really want to have that conversation with him. Maybe I'm intimidated to talk to him. And then, so you might have to get your stuff from other people. Yeah. I mean, you asked me when we first started, do I, do I miss working in my previous environment versus this one? Is it, was it a big change, a lot of different, that is one of the huge changes. I had a lot more peers where I could sit and talk with and bounce ideas mm -hmm. off of that, you know, at the same level I'm at, um, across the network and across the industry because I knew people throughout the industry that I'd worked with over the years. Um, <clears throat> so I had a lot more opportunity to do that and to talk to people higher, much higher than me. Like I said, I used to travel with um, the current CEO of Pfizer before he was CEO. I traveled him all the time. Um, and I've traveled with, you know, different high-level people. And so, you know, listen to them and hear from them, their experiences and bounce ideas off of them. Um, there's not a lot of that in Plattsburgh, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, you know, the the experience of business people in Plattsburgh is not as broad as what I grew up in. Um, so that is definitely something that uh, I don't have what I had before. Um, I still talk to colleagues and some of my old bosses in Pfizer every now and then. We, you know, but it's usually not work related. It's more just um, talking. Um, the people that work for me are not afraid to talk to me. I create an atmosphere where um, they understand um, that I'm here to help them and I want them to ask questions even if they think they're dumb questions. Mm -hmm. I want to try to help them learn. It's you know, a fairly safe space. Um, the board challenges me sometimes. Um, so, you know, in different things, I'll get in conversations with our board um, where they'll really, it's more they don't understand why I might want to do something. Um, and I try to explain to them, you know, you know, why, where I'm coming from and uh, why I think it's good for the organization and the community. And, um, you know, most of the time they agree. Sometimes they don't. And uh, that's okay. Because um, you hear the term, like, it's lonely at the top. So that's yeah. what I was wondering. Yeah, if, like, it is. I mean, you know, when I, when I first took over, was given the position of managing director of uh, the Rouse Point site. Uh, f that was back in, I guess, 2006, I think. And um, f from 1985 to 2006, I would go down and have lunch at basically at the same table with pretty much the same people. You know, mm -hmm. somebody came, come, came and went, right, um, for that period. And when I took over the role of, of site leader, basically, I remember going down and the whole conversation would stop. Yeah. It's like everyone's just stopped talking. And it, it didn't take me long to figure out I can't eat lunch with these guys anymore. Yeah. And the people I've hung out with for decades and invented with and, you know, and all that fun stuff, that I needed them to have a safe space to vent. Mm -hmm. And that was it. And if I showed up, you know, they wouldn't do it. So I, I learned pretty quick that uh, I, can't, I can't do that anymore. And um, so, yeah, it's, it can be lonely at the top. There's no doubt. It definitely changes um, how people see you and interact with you. Yeah. Yeah. But you get used to it. Yeah, I uh, yeah. Like I said, it's it's just. It's, I mean, these are just like questions of experience of like these are yeah. these are challenging things I find, and you're yeah. way more 
um, experience than I am on a lot of this. Um, well, for the sake of time, I think I got through like a quarter of this list, David. Like I actually, this was, there was a lot of, like you put on stuff, I'm like, oh my God, these are really good. We even talk about golf, but yeah, that, that's all right. Maybe, maybe next time if I bug you again to come on. I do want to um, ask you one more question very quickly. This will be a quick little wrap up. Um, you already told me who you wanted to have lunch with, or dinner with, yeah. so it was Lincoln. Sure. But uh, three books, if you had to recommend three books for the audience, knowing that it's a generalized audience of people, what would it be? If you had to pick three books that you think are <clears throat> worth recommending. Well, Crucial Conversations, um, Leading Change is another book. I guess I can't remember the author's name, but it's a really good book. Um, I've got post-its and stick it, stick, sticky notes all over it. Um John Cotter? Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Where are you? Right here? Yep, yep. It's a great book. Very good book. I'd recommend it to anybody. Um, I use that book as a Bible as I've helped leave sites all around the world through, you know, closures and people changing their lives. Um, it's a really good book. But um, is it by this author? There's yep. a couple of them, but it's yep. definitely by this author? Yep, yep. yep. There you go. I'll add it to my wish list. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> a third book... I don't know if I can come up with a third book for you. Um, I'm just gonna stick with those two. Okay. Those are my two favorite books for business-wise. How often? How many times have you read through them? Odd Lean Change. I've read through. just flip through them and I use it. I used to use it all the time. Yeah, yeah, as a reference. Yeah, yeah. So are you when you? I, I lied. I'll give you one more question. When you read books, do you mark up your books? Yes. Okay. I do you write in them and stuff? I write post notes, everything. If ben said, pages. Yep. If you saw that book, it, it's in. Uh, it's not my office. It's in my home office. I mean, it's got loaded with stuff yeah yeah I, i'm the same I, I use books as like textbooks i reference yep. guides yep i gave my whole leadership team at all the sites that book I, when uh, the site when each site went into closure i gave the teams those and said read this <clears throat> we'll talk about it so look at that you get a paperback for 552 bucks 552 bucks <laughs> they must not make them anymore but you get a used hardcover for 278 so <laughs> it's wild like some of them because they're out of production that's crazy. I, 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 like i have a when people ask, like, what do you have a lot of? I, I always say I have a lot of notes and a lot I, of books. I think I have two of those in my house. Paperbacks. Yeah. Flip it, man. You're <laughs> get, you're get, just buy the hardcover, take all your notes in there, and transcribe well, Once pristine, probably never touched it. Oh, God, 700 at least, yeah. <laughs> all right, well, David, I appreciate you coming on. This is a lot of fun. Um, and your first podcast, so you knocked it out of the park. Yeah, first podcast. I guess I gotta start listening to podcasts. It's kind of like public speaking, right? You know what you're yeah. talking about, so it's yeah. easy. Um, if David, if anybody wants to find you, TDC, what's the best way for them to uh, look you guys up? Um, website, the, yeah, the website uh, and our caller office. We're, we're on the website. You can email us, call us. Um, we're there for business, and um, our goal is to create jobs. So, if you're looking to locate in Plattsburgh, New York, give us a call. Love it. All right, we're gonna end there. Episode two forty seven, the Gail and Trombley Show. We're out. Thank you for listening to The Galen Trombley Show. Be sure to subscribe, review, and share the episode. You can follow me on all social platforms at Galen Trombley. Thanks for listening.